Hewler and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. What's going on, Steelers Nation Radio? 3 o'clock on a Monday afternoon. That can only mean one thing. It's time to go inside the electric factory for the next three hours here on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Arthur Motes, Wesley Euler. It's our three hours called Steelers Blitz. You already know the drill. If you want to chime in anytime over the next three hours, you can find us on Twitter at Wesley Euler at TheBody52. TheBody. Between the two of us, we've got a decade of NFL experience, a really good head of hair, and a uh, sore set of shoulders from all those push-ups on Friday. (laughs) But we're ready to go here on a Monday, having some fun, a bunch to bring you. Of course, in about 10, 15 minutes here, we will hear from Mike Tomlin, his post-practice availability as the Steelers continue down on the North Shore at Heinz Field, getting ready for the 2020 NFL season as we move closer and closer to September. Arthur Motes, were you nervous at all this past weekend with some of this news that came out? You are, know, you, are you referring to some of these false positives and positive the negatives I, and all that other nonsense? Yeah, you know, I, I, I do remember from school, and you know, I wasn't the brightest, right? I do remember from school growing up that a double negative was a positive, right? So when I was hearing all this false positive and... And negative, negative, and, uh, you know, I was a little confused over the weekend, but I was scared at one point when I saw, you know, Adam Schefter and some other people tweeting about some potential positive tests amongst teams. But it looks like I think we dodged a bullet here. You know, a lot of teams, some teams held out practices yesterday, certain guys from practice to be safe. But I I think we're okay, right? Uh, Yeah, fingers crossed, right? (laughs) Um, I try, in situations like this, sometimes I feel like I – tend to overthink or look too far into it. But at the same time, it's like, hey, if they're saying they're good, they're good. I mean, it was 77 uh, players that had positive uh, positive test results, uh, results, and it was all stemming from the same particular lab that the NFL has been using. They've been using five labs total, but this one in New Jersey just – yeah, I guess they had a mix-up. I, <laughs> I mean, that's I a mix-up. <laughs> tell me about it. I mean, the thing that's crazy, though, I've heard – other people, you know, that that aren't in the professional ranks that have talked about having different snafus in terms of test results, mm-hmm. positive positive tests when they never even take when they never even took the test and things on that nature. So, I mean, it's not too far off to hear something like this happens. You would just assume that any organization that the NFL is working with on that level that they're not making those type of errors because there's too much money involved. I mean, you talk about seventy seven players having positive results and then you find out within a day or two later that they're negative you can't do that i mean imagine if this happened going into the afc championship game right now right and okay we we get these all these negative i mean all these positive tests and the steelers and everybody else operated amongst their protocols they had the players that were in question uh, they held those players out of practice and put them on the the COVID list briefly but then once they found out that okay this is something that could be an error on the lab. Then they made adjustments to those policies. 
But imagine if this happened and going into the AFC Championship game, man, the day before the weekend of. I mean, that that would be brutal just to hear there was a mistake. So this is something that you're glad it ha- if it had to happen, you're glad it is happening now in August and not two months from now because the, the ramifications could be so much more. But, yeah, I, I just <laughs> – I'm still – just a little dumbfounded by the whole situation of that one lab that's been operating and working with, you know, and it's not as if this is a small lab that isn't qualified or doesn't have the manpower to test that many individuals or, or to, um, to, to, to check that many tests in a short span. They have the, 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 the building power. They have the staff. They are more than qualified to handle this, which is why the NFL chose them for this scenario. But it's just crazy to me, man, to see that something like that could happen. But shout out to the NFL, man, and their ultra-fast retesting policy. Holy cow. I mean, I I was over here like, man, you take a COVID test yeah. right now. It took you about two weeks to get the result back. And I was like, they got 77 results back in 24 hours? Yes. I don't want to know how that happened. I don't, I don't even care. I, I'm not even asking that question. <laughs> <laughs> just shout out to whoever was doing those retests. That, that's all I'm saying, man. Somebody was uh, working overtime. Someone was <laughs> someone was burning the midnight oil. Well, then it makes me nervous too because I'm like, man, how do we get it on the front end to make that mistake? And now we're going <laughs> to double up on the back end. And now every, not not one of those 77 were wrong. All 77 were – man, like I said, I'm not diving into it too much. I'm taking it for face value. Yeah. Snafu, everything's good. Just make sure it doesn't happen again. Yes, we'll just leave it at that, man. Arthur (laughs) Boat's other big piece of news from the weekend. Earl Thomas is looking for a job. Mm -hmm. Released by the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, in my best uh, Will Ferrell, Ron Burgundy voice. Mm -hmm. Boy, that escalated quickly. Yeah, man, it's a a crazy situation going on right now. Um, A lot of people just heard about the the practice scuffle that he got Mm -hmm. into with uh, Chuck Clark. Still not a lot of details pertaining to the incident. Um, from my understanding, it wasn't as bad as, a, say, a Steve Smith when he broke his teammate's jaw when he was with the Carolina mm. Panthers. Not to that extent, but, I mean, it's still it, – from what I'm hearing, it was a lot more than just the fight. It was the showing up late to meetings, showing up late to team activities, mm. um, not really having the, the connection with the players there. And, I mean, uh, uh, the, the, the vote for him to not remain on the team stemmed from – they have a player council there with their organization. So you know how most teams have team captains. So imagine, okay, instead of us having just three team captains here in Pittsburgh, if we had a leadership committee mm-hmm. of players, whether it's 10 players or however many players are on this committee, and they ultimately say that, hey, we don't want him here. We don't think he's best yeah. for our team or going forward. So, I mean, shout out to the Ravens for having that type of, you know, trust within their players and for the organization to listen and, and act upon that. I mean, because it's not easy. When you talk about Earl Thomas, the amount of money that he's acquired already in that first year, but then the money that he was scheduled to make this year. Now, I know with them giving him the conduct detrimental uh, tag for the release, yeah, that does that open the door from a, from a legality standpoint that they will be able to fight to recoup some of that money, but that's going to take months because they're going to have to say that, hey, it was kind of detrimental. We want to get the $10 million back that it was guaranteed for him this year right. along with a portion of his signing bonus. Right. And then for Earl, he either can say okay and give that money back 
Or he could take the approach that he more than likely will take, which is, no, I'm going to fight it. Then the NFLPA has to use their resources mm-hmm. to fight that. I mean, we've seen stif- uh, we've seen stuff like this happen before. Antonio Brown was, uh, I think he's still currently going through it with the New England Patriots in terms of money that was guaranteed I think you're right. and things yeah. on that nature. But this it's a, a process. It takes time because the burden is on the on the team proving that this player was a, a detriment to the team. This this player's contact uh Con, uh, excuse me, his conduct was in particular. So it's going to be a drawn out process if it goes that route. But man, do you just have to think? I mean, where Earl Thomas is, Pro Bowl safety, All Pro, perennial All Pro safety, future Hall of Famer, and you're releasing him what two, three weeks before the season starts? Yeah. Like things had to have been going pretty bad to get to this point. It's, it wasn't one just little snafu, correct. one little disagreement, one little bump in the road. Well, and, and I'll say I look at it very similar to the Antonio Brown situation here. Everybody saw when Coach Tomlin and uh and Art Rooney, or excuse me, Mr. Rooney, got upset and, and they were like, you know, we're gonna pursue a trade and things like that. And people just kept saying, well, man, all it was because that last game versus the Bengals. And it was like, no, it it actually wasn't that. When you look at everything that had transpired during Antonio's tenure here, you saw the track record, you saw a pattern, and that's ultimately what led to him being moved. Yeah. Even with him being as talented as he was, even with him had having recently got a new contract. So I think it's a similar situation with Earl Thomas. That, that from everything I've heard, it was a very similar situation, and it's unfortunate because you know where Earl. I mean, even though he's he's declined a little bit from his Seattle days, he's still. Uh, a top 10, top 15 safety in this league. We we both agreed upon that when we were doing yep. our safety list the other day. So for it to get to that point where you're releasing him, not only from an on-field standpoint, but a financial standpoint as well, yeah. it had to be pretty bad there. Yeah, no, it wasn't just uh, one little straw, right? I mean, it, it had to be something that, that broke the camel's back in that regard. Uh, another interesting development, and we got to get to break here so we can get to Mike Tomlin live after practice on the other side. Uh, but Motsi, later on in the hour, I want to discuss this with you, more kind of about what Earl Thomas's departure from the Ravens means for the division. Just getting news here that moments ago, Browns rookie safety Grant Delpit carted off the field in today's practice with an oh, injury. Man. So could there be a, a potential for Earl Thomas to find another home quickly within the division? What does all this mean for the AFC North? We will get into that in this hour. But we got to take our first break here because on the other side, Mike Tomlin is just minutes away from wrapping up practice today. We will hear from the head coach in just a few minutes, so don't go anywhere. Arthur Motes, Wesley Euler, we got you for the next three hours here. It's Steelers Blitz on SNR. Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Arthur Motes, Wesley Euler, waiting for head coach Mike Tomlin here. It's Steelers Blitz 
on SNR. A reminder, Arthur Motes, that all Steelers training camp media availabilities are presented by your neighborhood Ford store. The Ford F-150 is the official truck of the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you missed it in the opening segment, kind of uh, some division moving and shaking. Earl Thomas has officially been released by the Baltimore Ravens over the weekend, and Browns rookie safety Grant Delpit carted off the field during today's practice. Arthur Motes, I don't know if you felt that just now, but that was the wind from all the Hail Marys mm. that Cleveland fans were throwing mm. to sign Earl Thomas right now. <laughs> sign him! Uh, could it potentially maybe be that simple? Honestly, I think it could be a scenario it's like that. At least that. worth a conversation well, if you're and, Cleveland and this now, is the right? thing you have to realize, too. We always talk about this when you're building your roster, especially within the division. Any Your goal every offseason is to strengthen your team and hopefully weaken the other teams in your division, whether you're taking their better players or whatever it may be, kind of like what we did with uh, with Chris Wormley. Huh. We knew, okay, this is a big addition for us. Then remember, um, I think it was Brockers was who they were trying to sign, and that ended up fall, uh, falling through. So those are the scenarios that you're always hunting for. So if you're Cleveland, and, and obviously the Grant Delpit injury – once that information comes out, that's going to determine a lot more. If this is something short-term, I know he was carted off, but if this is something where he might miss a week or two, maybe right. you don't go for right. Earl. But if it's something where he's going to miss a substantial amount of time, this is something you would definitely look into because you have a couple of variables, a couple of factors with this situation if you're the team that's looking to pick up Earl. And the first thing could be potentially from a money standpoint, but – I think we got some hot stuff coming up, man. I believe so. So we, we get do. to this in a second, man. We do, yes, Arthur Motes. I apologize to cut you off there, but Mike Tomlin is getting ready to head to the podium. So, yes, we're going to uh, continue our Earl Thomas, our, our Grant Delpit conversation on the other side here, what that means uh, at large for the division. But let's go to post-practice now. Uh, a reminder, we're fortunate enough to bring you this every single day. Mike Tomlin speaking after practice. The Steelers uh, had Saturday night's practice under the lights. So uh, it's been full blow. I believe today is the 20th day uh, overall of training camp in the 6th, 5th or 6th padded practice but we're standing by here Mike Tomlin going to address the media in just moments a reminder that our Steelers coverage is brought to you by PNC Bank PNC Bank is the official bank of the Pittsburgh Steelers Arthur Motes Wesley Euler with you here on the Steelers Blitz we are standing by for our Steelers virtual camp press conference also brought to you by uh, your neighborhood Ford store the Ford F-150 is the official truck of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So let's turn things over here. Uh, Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin speaking after practice today. I start first with a number of the injury things. Um, we gave several guys a day off uh, to help preserve them over the course of the long haul, guys like Ben and Juju. Uh, but more importantly um, than that, it provides opportunities for others. And that's what we focus on, the, the younger guys that get an opportunity to ascend within the competition and, and get a chance to compete against some more veteran players and, and, and show their mettle in that regard. So we, we like to focus on that. 
several guys were having an opportunity to work their way back from injury. Um, David DeCastro being one of them, he was back out working today. A um, couple new injury things to note, guys that didn't work. Uh, Wormley has a shoulder. Smallwood has a shoulder. Um, we'll monitor those guys. Hopefully they'll get back to us sooner rather than later. Um, Chooks has a groin uh, that can be described as day-to-day. In practice, uh, Derwin Gray had a knee. Um, don't know the status of that. I think he was able to finish. Um, Anthony Johnson, knee, same thing. Bud Dupree, but I think Bud was able to finish. You know, some of the nicks that go on with this process, you know, we had maybe 12 to 15 guys out at different portions of the day. So that 80 number is more like 65. We have to be cognizant of that in, in, in an effort to keep the group up. Um, but at the same time, it's an opportunity for those that are highly conditioned uh, for them to highlight that aspect of readiness and, and seize additional reps and, 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 and rise through the ranks. And that's what this process is about. It's a big week for us as we get into this week. It's one of those lean-in weeks where if guys are going to make a move, uh, now is the time uh, they've gotten acclimated to the environment. Um, how we go about our business um, is really time for the, for the talents to start to show, uh, for, for, for there to be fluidity in play and, and understanding. And, and so those are some of the things we're looking for. We're, we're thoughtfully constructing some of that in competition. We're asking for specific matchups. Uh, we want to see who can compete. Uh, against known varsity-like guys. And uh, so we'll continue with that. It's been a good day thus far, and we'll continue with that mentality throughout the week. Questions? Just a reminder, use the raise your hand if you would like to ask a question. First one today, Mike Pursuta. Mike, go ahead. Mike, can you give an overview of how High Smith and Claypool are competing against known varsity guys? To be succinct, they're, they're proving that they belong. Um, you know, both guys have kind of distinguished themselves in some JV competition, if you will, over the course of this camp process. They've got more opportunity against known veteran guys, and really they don't appear to be out of place in that company. So, uh, so far, so good. Uh, as they continue to prove themselves, that will increase, and, and thus the growth process for those two and others. But those two you mentioned specifically – are one of the ones I'm thinking about when I'm talking about guys that have had, had an opportunity to ascend and are taking advantage of it. Next one, Mark Caboli. Mark, go ahead. Hey, Mike, staying on that topic a little bit with Chooks out, Banner got a lot of reps today, and especially against Watt. Uh, was there anything you were able to see out of what happened in there in the Banner? Does he need those type of reps to move forward? Yeah, Watt, Watt won a lot of them, <laughs> you know, but – Watt won a lot of them versus Chooks as well. Watt is a handful for one man uh, on NFL playing surfaces. Uh, but what a great opportunity for those young right tackles vying for that spot. Um, you know, there's no guesswork in terms of where they are in, ter- in terms of overall global readiness. Uh, Watt is one of the very best in the business, and they get an opportunity to sharpen their short sword against it every day. Next up, Will Graves. Will, go ahead. Hey, Mike. Um, you know, the Dolphins looks like they're going to allow – fans in the stadium, a small portion. Uh, Sean McDermott said he didn't think that was particularly fair. I'm just curious, would you prefer a level playing field where the the rules inside the stadiums are uniform across the league? You know, I don't care. I understand that these are extenuating circumstances. I'm just glad to be working every day. I'm glad we'll have an opportunity to get in stadiums and whatever they, they believe is best to meet the needs of, of our the pandemic, uh, I'm fine with. I think we all acknowledged very early in the summer, by we, I mean 
us globally, the NFL, that as we face this pandemic, man, some of the competitive fairness things um, are going to be tough to manage, and, and attendance is one of them. Next up, Joe Rutter. Joe, go ahead. The guy's competing for the right tackle spot. What does that mean now to have DeCastro back working with them, and does that hurt them at all when he wasn't in there? You know, they got to stand on their own, too. Um, obviously, DeCastro is a seasoned veteran, and the communication and the, and the understanding and things that he brings, but, you know, they don't always have control over who they play beside. I'm more concerned about the quality of their play at their position. Next up, Brooke Pryor. Brooke, go ahead. Hey, Mike, some coaches around the league said that they're noticing more soft tissue injuries in their guys this camp. So, wondering, are you seeing an uptake in, the, in those kinds of bumps and bruises with your guys this year? No, I'm not. Um, but I acknowledged at the very beginning I was really uh, impressed with the overall readiness of the group from a physical conditioning standpoint, and I think that's one of the reasons why it hadn't been, you know, an unusual discussion probably for us to this point. Next up, Brian Batko. Brian, go ahead. Hey, Mike. Yeah, you just mentioned the, the fairness issue, and I know you've been talking about competitive balance during this whole situation. Um, and as much as we appreciate your insight after every practice, is there a more concerted effort this year around the league in terms of uh, what teams are shown at camp, what they're show, allowing to be reported, uh, just a general maybe more veil of secrecy somewhat, given that there's no preseason film, stuff like that? I have no idea what's going on in other cities, to be honest with you, so I can't speak to that. Okay, anybody else have questions? Raise your hand. Will Graves, go ahead with the follow-up. Hey, Mike, we had a chance to talk to Minka today. Um, just as he gets into his second year with this program, you know, are there, we asked him to evaluate last year. He said he was fine with Howard considering his performance. What areas of growth are you looking for for him as he enters this season? You know, just the, 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 the cohesion that comes with being a full participant in the developmental process, um, the skill development. He got on a moving train a year ago, so we're more concerned about assignments and things of that nature. We had an opportunity to really focus on the skills relative to his position. Uh, he and I specifically have been talking a lot about tackle selection um, and, and the types of tackles that he selects based on circumstance. But uh, Minka's got a desire to be great. He brings a professional approach to his work every day. And so I'm just excited about having an opportunity to come alongside him and aid him in that process. Mike Pursuta with the follow-up. Mike, go ahead. And one more about Claypool, Mike. Uh, I think it was red zone. He made a pretty acrobatic catch in the corner of the end zone. Can you detail what you liked about that? And was your reaction to it somewhat atypical given his rookie status? You know, um, all my reactions are thoughtful. And, and I, I imagine you know that about me. It's, it's by design, whether it's positive or negative or constructive or encouraging. Um, I just try to be what they need me to be at any given moment, and he's included in that. And I really don't know what specific play you were talking about because he made a couple of them, uh, which is a good thing. Last one, Brooke Pryor with the follow-up. Brooke, go ahead. Mike, going back to Minka, throughout the offseason, we've heard different things that he's going to move around more, that he's going to just stay in, in center field and be that free safety. What is kind of the plan for him at this point? <laughs> Where did you hear that, Brooke? Or is it something that you stated? It's not enough. <laughs> Where you, did you hear that? Because we haven't done much work this off season. <laughs> He's, we've heard a couple different things. What he would prefer, what it sounds like is actually happening. 
you guys kill me talking about what you hear. Um, he's a versatile, <laughs> Minka's a versatile guy. Uh, we, we're committed to utilizing all his talents. Uh, we're going to make those decisions based on game planning week to week. One of the things that a guy that's multi-talented like him provides us is big-time versatility, and we're excited about exploring that. But we're That was Mike Tomlin just uh, live from Heinz Field after wrapping up practice on this Monday. Steelers training camp media availabilities are presented by your neighborhood Ford store, the Ford F-150 is the official truck of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Coach Tomlin said several guys given the day off to preserve them over the long haul. That's the uh, reason for absence for guys like Ben and Juju. Uh, Coach T also said Derwin Gray, uh, Anthony Johnson, and Bud Dupree were injured during today's practice. Uh, Wendell Smallwood and Chris Wormley dealing with shoulder injuries. Chooks with a groin injury. Looks like uh, Bud Dupree was able to finish practice. However, good news on that front uh mike tomlin asked about rookies chase claypool and alex highsmith said and i quote they're proving that they belong they've had an opportunity to ascend and they're taking advantage of it and uh also some uh, some glowing comments there um at the end about minka fitzpatrick also uh mike tomlin indicating that chase claypool made a couple of standout plays uh but the biggest thing that i heard there arthur motes bud dupree injured and i thought oh no but he finished practice the good news so i thought all right dodged a bullet on that one but i think that's to be expected this time of year right because uh it's funny you and i were just talking about this during break i mean this is the time of year (laughs) you are not missing getting your body into that shape guys are gonna have uh, bumps and bruises and soft tissue things and, and nagging little lingering things. Uh, it is the time of year for that. And I'm sure, especially with the kind of condensed timeline this season, um, even more so, they're going to be cautious. They're going to be safer rather than sorry when it comes to those things. But it, it seems like just, just some minor things, nothing nothing too serious, and Bud able to finish practice, the, the good news. Yeah, man. <laughs> this is the time of year. That every player that has retired, <laughs> they think about this every August, and they're like, dang, whew, glad I'm not out there. Yeah, you should have heard when Mike, oh, Tomlin, man. when Mike Tomlin started his press conference there by uh, just rattling off the injuries of the day. Arthur Moses sitting across from me, and he's like, man, I do not miss that. Mm. Oh, he just said, uh, who did he say? Like, Chooks is dealing with the shoulder, and Mutz oh. goes, oh, man, I remember dealing with my shoulders. I'm telling you, man, <laughs> during that, that first week of padded practice, man, everything hurts all over every <laughs> single day. It doesn't feel better. And you're like, oh, this is the best I'm going to feel all season is what you're telling me? Great. Yeah, I don't miss that at all, man. But, yeah, man, you, you're absolutely right in terms of them being a little more precautious or sometimes over-precautious mm. with – the handling of injuries and also with making sure that certain players are getting the allotted time off they need during this camp phase. We we know that this isn't a normal camp. We know there isn't preseason. We know from an evaluation standpoint, this isn't the the best scenario. But the the one thing that the Steelers are doing and that Coach Tomlin is doing to really benefit his organization is by giving some of these veteran players, your more established players, time off. It allows for, and we talked about this a little bit on Friday, it allows for some of the younger guys or some of the guys who are in competitions to really put forth their best effort because 
if you're out there with all the great players all the time, it's going to make your life a lot easier. It's going to make yeah. your play seem mm-hmm. to be elevated. It's but true. I want to see how does your play look when you don't have a Bud Dupree out there, when you are when you are missing a Juju or if you're missing another starter. Can you still elevate your play? Can you still be productive? Can you still take on more? Because by those guys not being in the lineup, somebody has to pull up that extra slack. Can that be you? So this is a great opportunity for those younger players, for some of those bubble guys, the guys who are vying for playing time going into the season, because when you get those added opportunities, you're going to get a chance. And when these guys are being held up for the whole day, it's not as if we're talking about, oh, extra two or three plays. That's an extra 20 to 30 plays. That's huge in terms of an evaluation standpoint. That's huge in terms of building trust, not only amongst yourself, but amongst those starters that are out there. Because if you're the, the, if it's 11 starters, but you're the guy who's the, the the guy that's coming in for one of those 11 guys, right? The guy who has the vet day off. Well, we're all looking at you. If something goes wrong, I can assure you, we're looking to you first because we want to know, did you do your job? Now, if you're going out there and you're executing at a high level with the rest of the starters, that's going to help us trust you a lot more, which is going to be good because now I don't have to worry about a guy like Cam Hayward trying to overcompensate to make a play because you he doesn't trust you on the outside. Mm-hmm. No, he needs to know that you're going to set the edge if you're Bud Dupree's backup. He needs to know if you're Alex Highsmith, if you're Tazar Skipper, if you're Ola Daney, that, hey, if the call says you're rushing, he knows you're rushing and you got the contain on this. He doesn't have to worry about, well, hold on, let me go over here and try to do his job too because now you're creating two voids in the defense so all of those things play together it's, i mean the, the the beauty of football right the great circle the you great puzzle and everything that you want to call three it sides man. of the ball baby yes indeed so in that regard man it's totally understandable and like i said i see it from a, a, a silver lining or a beneficial standpoint that some of these guys are being held out or being cautiously treated when it comes to some of these injuries so that way some of these other guys yep. can get better chances to evaluate to be evaluated and also to improve Hundred percent. No preseason games. A lot of snaps lost this off season. Uh, you, you still need that evaluation period somewhere for sure. And if it helps, uh, if you can get the evaluation period while you're also keeping, um, you know, some of your starters healthy, killing two birds with one stone. Boom. Or getting two things accomplished at once. Yeah, killing two birds. I mean, you know, it sounds a little violent, Arthur Motes. No one kills birds anymore. We don't need to kill two birds. All right, how about we just accomplish two things at once? How about Listen, that? man, no one kills birds anymore. That was so 2013. I don't know about that. I mean, this is Western Pennsylvania. A lot of people like to hunt around here. I don't have a hunt. I like. I got a fishing license. You do, and I got a boat license. You do. It's kind of random facts. I got a. I got a. Dri- <laughs> I got a driver's license. That's about it. Random. Random facts by Arthur Moats. <laughs> Arthur Moats, Wesley Euler. Uh, we're with you here until six o'clock. Another two hours and twenty minutes. Get those tweets rolling in at Wesley Euler at the Body Fifty Two. The Body. I want to figure uh, finish up some of this, uh, some of the housekeeping as it relates to the division conversation that we had at the top of the hour to finish out this hour. So we'll do that on the other side. You are listening to Steelers Blitz on your twenty four seven home of the black and gold SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. 
Arthur Motes, Wesley Euler. It's the Steelers Blitz on SNR on a Monday, wrapping up the uh, the first hour of the show here. Uh, we just heard from Mike Tomlin in the last segment, Coach T's post-practice comments. Uh, a reminder, everything that we do is uploaded in podcast form. Steelers Blitz, wherever you get your podcast. All the shows that we're doing here during Steelers Training Camp 2020 are uh, uploaded commercial-free, on-demand, in podcast form every single day. So uh, things might look and sound a little – well, I don't know about sound. Things might look a little bit different with Steelers Training Camp, obviously, being at Heinz Field this year. But the same great wall-to-wall coverage, as always, here on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Tunch and Wolf, 9 a.m. to noon. They get things started with three hours in the locker room. And then I've got your high noon roundup, noon to one. We hear some interviews of the morning as we get ready for practice. One to three, Matt Williamson and Dale Lawley with the drive. Then you got Moats and I, three to six, three hours inside the electric factory of the Steelers Blitz on SNR, six to eight o'clock. Mike Pursuta, Dale Lolly, and Matt Williamson with the training camp report. So 11 hours of live programming every single day here. Again, nobody giving you stellar talk, stellar coverage like SNR. I wanted to get back into some of this AFC North conversation. Obviously, we were talking about the Ravens' release of Earl Thomas, the injury, uh, unknown the uh, severity, but carted off in practice today was Grant Delpit. Motsi, is there a clear-cut winner-loser in this? I mean, I know that that's like a cliched radio guy question for you, but it feels like, you know, for the Ravens it's a loss, obviously, because they're losing a a talented safety. Uh, And it also feels like for Earl Thomas, I mean, what? Unless he lands with the Chiefs, I mean, he's not really (laughs) – going to land or can't really go to much better of a situation than he had going on in Baltimore with that secondary, with that team, 14-2 and two last year, and, uh, and poised to have another good season this season. Feels like a lose-lose for the Ravens and for Earl Thomas. Yeah, I mean, it's very nuanced. Um, for the Ravens, they're going to obviously try to spin it similar to what we did here in Pittsburgh when we lost Antonio Brown in terms of um, addition by subtraction, removing a quote-unquote a negative uh, person from your locker room and ultimately having more guys who are, you know, team first, uh, positive glass half full yeah. type people. I mean, in theory, that sounds good, but we ultimately know it's about the players that are on the field. And right now, as it stands um, for the Ravens, I mean, their secondary definitely takes a huge loss. We understand they have Marcus Peters and, uh, and uh, Marlon Humphrey as their corners, and those are huge, you know, additions for them. But now their secondary is going to be Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott. Elliott uh, Deshaun Elliott is the guy who's ultimately going to be replacing uh, Earl Thomas. He's a six-round pick in 2018 out of the University of Texas. Uh, I mean, let's be real about it. I, I don't care how bad of a personality Earl Thomas was in that locker room. We know what he brings to the field. And right now, that drastically affects that secondary that that is a huge hit for them it's a reason why even here in Pittsburgh we talked about how improved the defense looked when Minka Fitzpatrick came here it just changes it when you have a top tier player at that position and for them man they're they're definitely going to feel the loss of Earl Thomas now for Earl I don't look at it as a, the, the the negative for him is number one him being released He's going to have to fight for the money. That That's a whole other battle. But 
the negative element for him is now he has a little bit of a stigma, a little bit of a, a label on him because he's been at two very successful organizations and they both have ended very abruptly and very sourly. You think about the the image that everyone is showing when he left Seattle. He's uh, given the the one finger the one finger salute to Pete Carroll as he's getting carted off the field. Then obviously the situation here in Baltimore. So I'm sure it's going to have some teams that could use him ultimately being a little bit hesitant because they don't know how much of a cancer he is to a team. Very similar to what we're seeing right now, even with Antonio Brown, a guy who we know is a top 10 player, went on the field. But right now he's unemployed. I understand he has a suspension, but it's still no reason why he wouldn't be signed if it wasn't for the character issues. So I think that's the biggest concern for Earl Thomas. Now, when you're talking about him landing at a spot, with guys like Earl, when you're that talented, I think those are the type of players that believe wherever they go, they can make it into a Super Bowl contender because he's already won a Super Bowl. He's already been to back-to-back Super Bowls. Yeah. Then he turned around, come to Baltimore, and he ultimately helped change the face of that defense. We yeah. talked about he was a major upgrade compared to Eric Weddle, who was there previously, and Tony Jefferson. So when you think about that with Earl, He's very confident in that wherever he goes, he thinks he can turn them into a contender. And let's be real, if he went to Cleveland, Cleveland's defense becomes drastically better. Yep. If he were to go to Dallas where people were talking about, that could be rumored. Trust me, the Cowboys' defense would be drastically better. So that's the only thing that I, I, I don't think is going to be a negative in terms of landing spot. I think for Earl, the only negative right now is just the the questions surrounding his character. Because we're, we, we talked about two major incidents on Phil at two separate uh, two separate organizations, that still doesn't even count for the situation that happened between him, his wife, and his brother, and everything that transpired with that earlier this offseason as well. So there are a lot of question marks that could ultimately hinder Earl in terms of a deal getting done and the the finances though along with that deal. Because let's be real about it: if you have any concerns about a player's character, you're not willing to just give them a ton of money right. because you know, hey, this could backfire. Okay, or if they do have a lot of money, it's going to have very, very specific language, very specific triggers in it that can void out guaranteed money, that can void out this, this, and this. And that's ultimately because of how Earl's handled himself off the field. Like I said, when he's on the field, he's been fine. But when you have off-the-field issues and sometimes your off-the-field is starting to catch up with where you are from a talent standpoint, because it's different. If we're talking 2014, 2015, Earl, where he was the best safety in the league, different conversation. He's declined. As we sit here in 2020, Wicked said, I had him in the top 10. You have him as a top 15 safety. That's pretty much where he is right now. 8 to 12 yeah. range. So you can't be 8 to 12 and giving me those type of issues. Correct. If you're, if you're top 5, we'll deal with a lot more stuff. We talked about that. It's the reason why A.B. lasted in Pittsburgh as long as he did. When you are that talented, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll look the other way. Trust we'll work me. with you. Trust me. Every coach has done it. You talk Belichick, we can go down the list, Nick yes. Saban. Every coach has done it. If that player is that good, you find a way. But right now with Earl, that talent, like I said, is starting to slip a little bit. So now you can't operate and conduct yourself in the manner that you did prior to that when you were an elite player because now you've taken that step back. So now you have to fall in line a lot more. And that could be an adjustment process for him. That could be something that he's struggling with because we talked about how it's difficult at times for a guy to go from being a superstar to just a good player, 
or just a regular player. That is very humbling. It's hard to adapt to that sometimes when you feel that, hey, this is how it's been throughout my career. I need to be treated the exact same way, but your play isn't up to that level anymore. Right. So that's why, man, for me, I think the Ravens are the biggest losers in this, regardless of how they're going to try to spin it in terms of, oh, yeah, man, we got great character guys on the team now. Deshaun Elliott ain't going to cut it, baby. I, I I don't know the kid. I hate to say it, but he's not Earl Thomas. Let's be yeah. real about it. It's yeah. a reason why you went out and got Earl Thomas. It's a reason why before Earl Thomas you had Eric Whittle. It's a reason why you have acquired the players that you've acquired. Because you didn't believe this was the guy. You had him on your team since 2018. So, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my whole thought process with that. So, there is no way where they're winners in this. And if they lose the arbitration for the money, then they lost twofold because then they yeah. paid Earl up to, uh, close to $30 million for, for one a, a season worth of work. That's terrible management. But like I said, for Earl, man, he's going to land somewhere. The biggest issue with him, man, is the negative association that's going to be – I mean, the negativity that's associated with him now from an off-field standpoint, from a right. character standpoint, because those things are harder to deal with. If it was something on-field, oh, it's the tackling, or oh, it's the coverage. You can work to improve that a lot quicker than you can character. Character, that's going to be an issue the whole season. He can have one incident come up in December, and they're going to point back to these incidents that transpired within the past month or so. Whereas if it was a, a on-field situation, he missed a tackle, man, he can go make 10, 15 tackles, and people will forget about it. They'll be saying, oh, look, man, these are perfect examples of how he can tackle good. But that's the difference in this whole scenario. Yes, so this is. is something that Earl's going to have to deal with a lot longer than he would probably like to. Let me ask you this last last thing I got for you on this topic. Um, everything you kind of just touched on there, right? If you were a general manager, you were a defensive coordinator, and you were having this discussion now about Earl Thomas, right? Say say you're with the Browns or say you're with the Cowboys, right? Or, or one of these teams that thinks you can make some noise this year, and a player like Earl Thomas on the field could really help you. But you're still, but you're having that same conversation that you and I just had, right? Is it is he the right guy to bring into the locker room? You know, X, Y, and Z. How do you balance that the the talent and the playmaking ability on field, but maybe some of those concerns off field? Like what what would your kind of evaluation thought process be right now? Like I said, if you were one of those teams and you were really looking at him, oh wow, he's available out there. Should we call his agent? Should we set up a meeting? Uh, what would you kind of be? I don't know. What would your input be on that conversation? I think it's a couple of things. First, I have to look at the dynamic of my team. Am, is this a younger team or is this a more veteran, more established team? Um, when it comes to my defense and my secondary in particular, is this a secondary that's already established or is this a secondary that's trying to have an identity or trying they, they need help, they need that alpha back there? Because if you already have an alpha out there, a lot of times you might say, hey, I don't need that. I'll be fine. But if you are searching for that stud, that that beast type player in your secondary, you can say, OK, you know what? I need to bring him in. But then after you evaluate your team, then you have to look at not the leaders of the team, but the coaching staff. And ultimately, do, do you feel like your coaching staff hmm. is mature enough and strong enough to handle that type of player, to invoke discipline when needed on that type of player? to set up parameters around him of what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Because if you have coaches that one minute they say one thing, but then, you know, in a different scenario they're flip-flopping, that's not going to be good. It needs to be very consistent with a player like uh, like Earl Thomas who's dealt with some off-field stuff. When you have players that, that, that are dealing with uh, character issues and things along that nature, structure and consistency are the things that will help improve them. If you 
give them a bunch of, oh, is this today? Is that next week? Is this the following week? <laughs> they don't know how to act to that, and they're going to re- resort back to what they know. Sure. But if you come in and you lay it out for them very simple, very clear, and say, hey, look, Earl, we want you on this team. We feel that you can be successful. From a contract standpoint, we're going to give you uh, a $10 million deal, but it's going to be per game bonus. So you're not getting the 10 mil as soon as you sign. No. For every game you dress out, every game that you play, you're on the active 46-man roster. Okay, well, we're going to make sure that you have a bonus each week that's going to be, you know, 500000 or wherever, however you want to structure it so that way it's incentivized for him to be on that field. It's incentivized for him to stay healthy. It's incentivized for him to act accordingly so that way he can get the money that he wants to get. That's the thing that we're talking about from a contract standpoint. Then from a disciplinary standpoint, I'm letting him know, look, if you are late to anything, the first one, the first time you're late, I'll give you a pass on that. After that, these are the discipline. This is the discipline that we'll be taking with you. Fine the first time, double the fine the second time, conduct detriment of the third time, fourth time you're gone. It's that simple. And those are some of the things you're going to have to have with them. But you have to know if you're that type of coach. Are you the type of coach right. that can stick to that? Because it's not easy. And trust me, when you first sign him, he might be good the first two weeks. He might be good the first month. That's not your issue. The issue is November, December. How is he handling it then? If adversity arises on the team, how is he going to handle that then? So you got to make sure that you have the type of team and you have the type of coaching staff that can commit to that level of discipline. They can commit to that level of leadership. Because like I said, it's not easy to do, especially when it's a talented player like Earl Thomas. We talk about how you handle your superstars one way and you handle your regular people another way. That's just how it goes. That's how it is in life. I mean, trust me, everybody in the company ain't treated the exact same. We nope. know this, man. It's levels to it. We hear it all yes. the time. And, and and that's factual. It doesn't matter if you're working at your, 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 a mom and pop store, if you're working at a Fortune 500, uh, it is what it is. Yep. So in this scenario, exact same concept, man. You just have to – it's more so about the organization and the coaching staff there than it is about Earl Thomas because Earl wants to get paid. Earl wants to play. So you already know the common ground right there. And what do you want from Earl? I want him to play. So mm-hmm. I don't mind paying him for those services, but this is what I need from you, Earl. Yeah. And if and once you bring him in for that meeting, you look at him in his eye, you have to be a great judge of character. You have to be able to read him on that situation because you have to say to yourself, well, hey, look, Harbaugh had him and Pete Carroll had him. It worked a lot better with Pete Carroll than it did with Harbaugh, but both of them ended kind of sour. How could we make this thing better? Yeah. And that's kind of how you have to evaluate it. But if I'm if I'm a, a GM, if I'm a coach, I'm calling them two up right away. Hey, tell me what was going on, man. I understand how it ended in Seattle, yeah. the contract situation. He wanted to guarantee he's a den and he gets hurt. I understand him, you know, heated a moment doing what he did. Okay, Harbaugh, I saw the note that he posted when he left. It was very, you know, nice, friendly. Didn't sound as if it was any ill will. All right, talk to me about that. Let me know, Okay. What was going on? Do you think this is a player that can turn it around and get it back together? Why didn't you keep him up there? Why didn't you feel that if you felt mm-hmm. that he could turn it turn it over and get better, why didn't you allow him that opportunity? Was it that the team itself just said they could not deal with him and that overruled what you wanted to do? Or is there something else that we haven't heard from a public standpoint? Those are the conversations I'm having. Those are the calls I'm making. Then from there, you know, when she talked to the agent, the agent's going to sell you the dream. The agent's going to tell you Earl was the best, but he was misunderstood, <laughs> had a bad situation, dealing with some family stuff, and that's ultimately what's played into this whole scenario. That's fluff. We know it's, that. It's been a stressful year for everybody. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we know he's going to fluff it. But 
it's really going to come down to when you got Earl in there and you've talked to everybody that you need to talk to. You talk to the coaches that he's had. You talk to the assistant coach, the position coaches as well, not just the head coach. I want to talk to your position coach to know, okay, what happened? What was he like on the day-to-day? Is this somebody that we can work with or not? And from there, you got to make that decision after that. But from an on-field standpoint, man, Earl is, I mean, immensely talented. Even with him taking a step back, he's still, like I said, a top 15 safety at worst in the league. Arthur Motes, Wesley Euler, Steelers Blitz on SNR. One hour in the books, two hours to go. The conversation will continue on the other side. Keep those tweets coming in at Wesley Euler at the body 52. The body. It's Euler Motes, SNR. Euler and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR. Steelers Nation Radio. Good evening, Steelers Nation. How we doing? Well, that's good. <laughs> Wesley Euler, Arthur Motes, hour number two inside the Electric Factory with you here on Steelers Nation Radio. We've got a bunch to bring you to get to here today, but I wanted to continue, Arthur Motes, uh, with our, I, I guess it's kind of been the... I don't know. We, we started this last week. It's kind of been a continuing theme of the last mm-hmm. few shows here. I guess maybe that's the best way to describe it on the Steelers Blitz. Um, with, uh, with like, make or break, like, guys with a lot of a lot of things to prove type conversations, right? Today I wanted to look, Arthur Motes, at guys who are uh, potentially uh, singing for their supper in terms of their next contract, all right? I've got eight new guys for, well, not new guys, but I've got eight guys for you that are looking for new contracts. All right, Arthur Motes, you ready for this? Yeah, let me hear it, man. First one, wide receiver Corey Davis of the Tennessee Titans. He's almost been forgotten after uh, A.J. Brown's breakout. (laughs) Man, ain't that the truth. But he was the fifth overall pick in 2017. Mm -hmm. Uh, Three wideouts in the top ten that year, Arthur Motes. Corey Davis, John Rosh, and Mike Williams. Hasn't worked out very well for any of those three, uh, especially when you consider drafted behind them. Uh, Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Cooper Cup seemed better for the uh, the second group of wide receivers there. Um, last year, just two scores and 601 receiving yards. The year before that, 891, four touchdowns, Arthur Motes. I mean, let's just face it. His productivity has not been up to snuff for what you would expect for a first-round wide receiver, particularly one now, drafted I would say, in the top five. Not even five. a first-round, fifth-overall yeah. pick, man. Come on. Um, is I mean, has the ship sailed on him in that regard, or is he a guy that, you know, if he has a 1,000-yard season, he might be able to, to get another contract or find somewhere else to stick? Uh, I think the ship has sailed, honestly, man. When you talk about a guy – that was the fifth overall pick. Once you get to this stage of your rookie contract, cool. you know what you are. You, it's not like a situation that uh, Juju had where you had you were playing opposite of a, a number one receiver in the NFL, and you were kind of in the shadow. Then the next year, you had to deal with some quarterback stuff along with some injury things. With Corey, that hasn't been the case. Um, he's been with Marcus Mariota for a couple of years, and then obviously he had Ryan Tannehill uh, the second half of last season. Mm-hmm. But he still just hasn't done enough to make you say, 
oh, this is the guy. Now, his second year, I mean, he was close to 1,000 yards. He had 891 receiving yards, yep. which was good. Four touchdowns. Which was really good for, for at, at the time, but you just haven't seen the consistency. You haven't never seen. never built upon it. Correct. Yeah. And even then, it still wasn't like a world beater type season. It wasn't like when we talked about Juju, where he had over a thousand yards, and it's like, oh, okay, he took a step back to Pro close. To, you know what I mean? Season. Like, yeah. yeah, Davis still wasn't on that level. He wasn't to that uh, on that caliber. So that's my thing. And then knowing that AJ Brown is going to be the number one receiver going into the season for the twenty twenty year, I don't see a scenario where Corey Davis is going to even be able to thrive. Because A.J. Brown is the guy who's going to be getting yeah. all the passes along with Ryan Tannehill, who isn't a high-volume passer. Right. It's I mean, it's Derrick Henry's Right. It is, it's, it's run first, play action pass. Yep. So that doesn't benefit Corey Davis at all compared to if Corey was playing with the Chiefs, for example, where you know they're going to throw the ball 40, 50 times a game. Yeah, I, I can still get a quiet 700, 800 yards and be okay. That's just it, – it's not built for him down there in Tennessee, and I just don't see a scenario where he's going to be there – after this season, honestly. No, I don't either. Even if he has a big year, the Titans already declined his fifth-year option, um, so it would seem that his future lies elsewhere. A.J. Green, how about another wide receiver? A couple wide receivers on this list here, Motsi. Uh I mean, we know what this guy has been for a long time, right? But he has also had a, a couple years here now of injuries um, and a lot of kind of up-in-the-air things with that team, right? They just drafted T. Higgins. They've still got – Another couple young wide receivers and, and Tyler Boyd as well as John Ross is still on that roster. Speaking of another one of those first-round top-10 pick type guys. Um, last year with the Bengals, the only team that he's played for, the team that brought him into the league, Arthur Motes. And I guess you could even ask, too, if he goes out there and has a good season, but he doesn't think it's going to happen anytime soon in Cincinnati that, you know, maybe this kind of new rebuilding around Joe Burrow is either going to take more time or it's just not, you know, doesn't have the ceiling that he thinks it is. Uh, could uh, a good season by A.J. Green and maybe some interest on the free agency market even, could he be gone regardless? I don't see a scenario if he plays well and he stays healthy. I don't see a scenario where Cincinnati lets him walk. Yeah. I mean, they had the opportunity. We talked about this uh, this past season. I mean, where they could have – I forgot what it was in particular with this contract, but they had an opportunity where they could have allowed him to move on, and they chose not to. I see a similar situation. If he's healthy and he plays up to his full potential, he's going to be on that roster because while they were unloading uh, assets in terms of getting rid of Andy Dalton, they could have easily got rid of A.J. Green and his contract. Let's be real about it. They already have Tyler Boyd on the roster. They drafted T. Higgins, the, the what first or second overall pick of the second round. So, yeah, you already have your receiving core that you would want in terms of the future, but they still decided to, hey, we, we want to keep A.J. Green yep. here. So, it's for a reason, and I do think that if AJ is healthy, he still can. I mean, what is thirty one, thirty two years old? Just tops? turned, just turned thirty two. Yeah, so even at thirty two, man, he still has two to three more years of really good AJ Green. I personally feel just because of the type of player that he is and what he brings to the table, certain things you just can't coach, and that's what he has. So for me, man, I just think if he has a, a fully healthy season and he plays and he produces like we know he can, I think they find a way to keep him there. Yeah, I think so, too. But, I mean, talk about a great guy to have around that young offense as well, too. Uh, A.J. Green, for Trust sure. Trust me, he, he, he will be a young quarterback's best friend. Yeah. Healthy A.J. Green, cool. just throw it up. Yeah. Just throw it up. 
He is uh, very, very gifted at catching the football. Uh, also, another guy who is very gifted at catching the football, Arthur Motes, but, you know, getting a little bit longer in the tooth and potentially, uh, you know, looking at a, a contract, a free agency situation. T.Y. Hilton, last wide receiver on this list, Arthur Motes. Uh, his last two seasons with Andrew Luck, very productive. Some of the most uh, impressive stats in the National Football League amongst wide receivers. But last year, uh, not so much. And now he's, again, getting a little bit older, has had some more injuries piling up, and this is maybe another team that after this year could be looking to kind of hit the reset button, button uh, depending on how things go with, uh, of course, the veteran addition of Philip Rivers. T.Y. Hilton, last year in Indy, Arthur Motes, uh, or could this be a, another situation where a guy that maybe just means more to the franchise and if they have some cap room to work around, that having him there will, will be important to them? If he continues on this path of being injured every year, missing multiple games, he's dealing with a hamstring, uh, hamstring injury right now. If he deals, If he continues to have these type of just lingering injury issues along with them not being a successful team this year, I think he's gone. I think they they potentially try to make major moves because, I mean, a lot of this hinges on Phillip Rivers. Let's be real about it. Yeah. If Phillip Rivers looks good, then T.Y. Hilton's going to look good if he's healthy. If T.Y. is dealing with injuries, he's in and out of the lineup, if Phillip Rivers isn't playing good, well then, yeah, T.Y. is probably going to be gone next year and they're probably going to make some other major moves to get this offense the way they want it to be because defensively they're good. Defensively they got the pieces in place. Offensively, we know quarterback is a big deal. Tight end outside of Jake Doyle. And then you got to look at the receiver room. So, yeah, I definitely think that if T.Y. doesn't stay healthy and if they don't win, if they and I'm talking winning the division, right. making the playoffs, if they don't make the playoffs this year – yeah, I could definitely see that scenario with T.Y. is gone. And, and he's a very talented player. We talked about that. But you can't keep having these seasons where they're depending on you and you're injured. And then you talk about last year where he's coming off of a career low. I think he had, what, 500, 600 yards tops last year? Yep. That's You, you just can't do it. It's unacceptable. So that's my biggest concern with T.Y. in terms of his longevity and future with the Colts going forward. Career low, just seven games and 501 reception yards last season. I can't have that. Not when you're getting paid what you're getting paid and understanding how much you mean to that offense. He's helped them so much in terms of them not having to break the bank on other yeah. wide receivers yeah. because of just the ability that he has to take the top off the defense. He's been very underrated for a long time. Absolutely. Or but now was very right. underrated for a long time, I should say. But now when you run into the situation where you're not being available – and we're still paying you year in and year out, and now you're starting to look like you're declining a little bit. Now, in the words of Coach Tom, I got to go shopping, baby. Yeah, it's not a good recipe for sure. I uh, got a couple pass rushers and a couple running backs here on this list that I want to get Arthur Motes' thoughts on as well, too. We will do that on the other side. He is Arthur Motes. I'm Wesley Euler. It's a Monday. We are about halfway home here. Still another uh what, 90 minutes or so to go here on the Steelers Blitz. We will finish up this conversation about uh, make-or-break contract years for some veterans here on the other side. It's Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Thank you.
continuing our conversation about uh, some veterans. There's some guys who've been in the league for a few years looking to uh, earn their next contract or just contract status up in the air. Arthur Motes, Wesley Euler at Steelers Blitz on SNR. We talked about some wide receivers. Let's talk about some pass rushers right now, Arthur Motes. And how about one of the guys who was uh, one of the best free agent signings in 2019, now uh, being used on the franchise tag to be uh, to be kept in Tampa Bay. 19 and a half of them things. 19 and a half sacks last year for Shaq Barrett, Arthur Motes. Uh, how does this play out? It's I mean, that's a franchise now that is is strapped up against the cap with some of the adi- uh, additions they made this offseason. They've also got you know some younger guys like Devin White that are going to need paid eventually as well, too. Uh, Shaq Barrett, one year, $15.5 million on the franchise tag. Is he, uh, is he one more season away from kind of earning that money in a long-term deal? Yeah, without a doubt. Um Anytime you see a guy make the big jump from single-digit sacks to 19-and-a-half, you definitely want to see that happen again. Um, just because, you, you number one, is 19-and-a-half sustainable? Or is that his best-case scenario? Like, did he just have his best right. season? And So those are some of the things that you really have to ask yourself. And then from a financial standpoint, am I going to pay him for 19 and a half sacks per season? Or am I going to pay him probably for around 10 Hmm. sacks per season, which is a little bit more realistic for him. That's what you have to ask yourself when it comes down to that. Now, I think Shaq will still get a long-term deal done, especially if he can flirt with double digits again. If he goes out there and has 19 and a half again, that's, that's different. That'll probably change the whole landscape of just how we view him. But as it stands right now, Nothing has shown us through his track record that he can be a 19-and-a-half sack guy. So no, I think, in fact, five-and-a-half is the most that he has had yeah. in his career prior. And, and you talk about, like, and I understand there were some scenarios where he was in uh, Denver and he was sharing time with, um, oh, man, I'm John, uh, with Shane Ray uh-huh. and, and guys like that. But he's also had substantial opportunities in Denver. So it's not as if he wasn't out there at all. So that's my only thing. You you would know if you have a consistent 19-and-a-half sack guy, that shows up in practice. You you know that yes. right away. Yes. Be, if we had T.J. Watt and he was limited in time, you would still see, oh, T.J. Watt can play. He can, he can produce. You know exactly what this is. I'm going to get him out there. So with Shaq Barrett, that's all I'm saying in terms of the 19-and-a-half, it shocked everyone for a reason because nothing – he's put out consistently shows that he's that type of guy. But if he can go out there and get close to 10 sacks again this year or or cross the 10-sack the ten sack threshold, then yeah, he'll definitely get a nice deal. And I don't think it'll break the bank, but it'll be a nice long-term deal because down in uh, Tampa right now, they want to keep that that group together. Yeah, yeah. Especially now that you got uh, Tom Brady down there, Gronk. You want to do whatever it They're takes. They're looking at this as a two-year window. Yes, without yeah. a doubt. And you don't – you don't get closer to winning the Super Bowl by getting rid of a guy that had 19 and a half sacks last year, regardless of what he does this year. You don't, that's not for the benefit of your team. Can't justify that one. (laughs) Not at all. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing with Shaq Barrett, man, but I think he'll, he'll still get a deal done next year. And that's the reason why they franchise tag him. Just because, I mean, you call for 19 and a half sacks. If you're the guy that, if if you're the player, if you're the player, you're like, Hey, pay me 19 and a half money. If you're an organization, you're like, you've never had 19 and a half in your life. I mean, we can probably add up your career sacks and they might not equal to 19 and a half. That's correct. Does not. So, yeah, I'm not paying you 19 and a half. I'll franchise tell you this one nice payday this year, but then after that, we're going to talk turkey next year. 
four, well, five years in Denver, but he missed his entire rookie season with yes. injuries. So four mm-hmm. years in Denver playing, and he had 14 sacks. Yeah. One year last year in Tampa Bay, 19 and a half sacks. Motes, how does, I'm looking at this, uh, 2018 in Denver, he had no turnovers, no mm-hmm. interceptions, no forced fumbles. He had three sacks, he had 28 tackles, mm-hmm. and he had seven quarterback hits. A year later in Tampa Bay, one interception, six forced fumbles, so seven turnovers, mm-hmm. 19 and a half sacks, 58 tackles, and 37 quarterback hits. How how does a dramatic shit how do, how does something that drastic of an improvement? How does I mean, was it just as simple as as the right opportunity, the square peg in the round hole, right? Finally, the square peg being asked to fit a square hole. Was it that simple? Was it combined with maybe just a, a little bit of a, a flukiness in that nature where, like we were talking about, he just had such a good season? Is it somewhere in between? What What do you think when you see just that drastic of a change? Yeah, in the NFL, it's very rare. It's as simple as square peg, round hole. A lot of times, the variables that go into this, you have to, to take into context that last year that he had in Denver, like I said, for him – you knew that he was going to be a rotational guy at that time. So yeah. from the opportunity standpoint, a lot of times, even if you're an elite pass rusher, you're not getting the opportunities. Yeah, you, you don't get the chance to cook like that in terms of, That's yeah, you, you can be a prolific passer, have all the rushing moves you want, but if you're coming in on second and three, hey, newsflash, they're not, they're not throwing the ball. <laughs> I don't care how good you are. So that plays into it. And then the tackles, anytime you're talking about an edge rusher, tackles, I, I, I put some weight in it, but – as an edge rusher, you know that sometimes you're going to be backside of the play. Sometimes you're taken out of the play just by formation and play call alone. So that kind of factors in. Whereas with Tampa, you had to think Tampa was, hey, we're going to let you rush every time. And the thing is, when you watch Shaq Barrett on tape, too, in Tampa, they weren't early on, they weren't utilizing him in run situations. They were bringing him in solely to rush the passer. Now, as the season progressed and injuries happened and things like that, his role uh, expanded, but early on it was strictly you're rushing the passer. That's your job, and he excelled at it. We've seen guys yeah. come in and be rush specialists, and he definitely excelled in that regard. But then you also have to remember too, his quarterback situation and an offensive productivity situation in Tampa was a lot better than what was going on in Denver for him. So even though Jameis had a lot of turnovers, we talked about he still had 33 touchdown passes. He still threw for over 5,000 yards. That's still a lot of productivity from an offensive standpoint, so that lets you know they're not getting blown out in games, what we're trying to get to. Even though they're on the field a lot because of the turnovers, they were still either winning or within one score or two scores in that game, so you knew that teams were still going to have to throw the ball and stay true. Not like what we saw here in Pittsburgh where you knew teams weren't going to air it out a lot because they didn't have to. They were either – most of the time they were playing with the lead the whole time. So with Shaq Barrett – that, those are some of the variables that have really went into it. And then also, you watch him on tape. We, we talk about it as pass rushers. You can have the, the best <laughs> rush, quarterback gets rid of it. You can have the best rush, and it was play action. Or you got the best rush, and they end up you know scrambling or, or handing the ball off. Something fluky can happen, right? Everything was going right for him, though, man. He was coming home. I mean, he was getting free on certain rushes and able to actually finish him. I mean, it, I think it was a great ser- scenario for him because it doesn't happen often. You look at like a guy like Von Miller who we know, hey, when he's on, he's one of the best in the league. It's a reason why guys don't just get 19 and a half sacks because <laughs> a lot has to go right for you there, man. A lot has to go right. But I'm glad it did for him, man, because he's going to be set up in a very positive situation going forward. But I don't anticipate him being nowhere near that 
going forward, honestly. Double digits would be would be a success. Best case, yes. Yeah. Leonard Williams of the Giants. Interesting one. Uh, you know, they gave up a pair of draft picks to the Jets to get him ahead of free agency. His last eight games with the Giants, eh, you know, weren't terrible, but it's not like he lit the world on fire. He gets franchised to be kept around for another season. He's another one, Arthur Motes. He's not old, but he's not young anymore, Leonard Williams. Um, let's look here. Uh, 17 and a half sacks over the last five seasons. Uh, is the value going to be enough there for the Giants to keep him around, or will he uh, – Will he be hitting the open market this time next year? Well, earlier than this time next year, but you get it. First off, the only Williams that we acknowledge in New York is Quinnen. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. <laughs> That's why they had to get him off, off the Jets roster, you know? right? But but in all seriousness, man, <laughs> Leonard is a very unique situation or a very unique person, man. When you talk about where he was drafted, yeah, you look at the amount of QB hits that he has but then you look at the lack of sacks that he has. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I I put this in a similar situation to honestly kind of like what Bud Dupree the year before he got the uh, the ten and a half sacks or whatever, right? When you looked at Bud in twenty, uh, it would been in twenty eighteen season. We saw that hey, he his numbers in terms of QB hits had went up drastically, but his sack total did not. His sack total was only like one or two more than what he had prior to that, but. When you traditionally, the way it works is if a guy is getting to the quarterback and getting QB hits, eventually those QB hits turn into sacks because we talked about how everything has to go right to get a sack, right? We talked about how with Shaq Bear going for 19 and a half, everything was going right in terms of, hey, coverage is good, he's holding the ball, and I make the play. With Leonard, he's getting back there, he's making the hit, but either the coverage isn't going through or he's just not finishing the play. It's a lot of variables in that regard, but you, I mean, listen. A guy that had over five seasons, 101 QB hits, man, that's that's a ton. That's big-time productivity. Yeah, it really is. So, for me, I'm banking – I lean more on that element of that statistic than the actual sack because a lot of times we talk about the sack numbers can lie to you. They can. A sack is kind of like an interception. You can have three interceptions in a game, but – to, well, one was before the end of the half, and then one was the end of the game, and you only had legit one true or what he read it and broke on the pick. Right. But it says three picks. You watch the film like, whoa, it, it, this isn't three picks worth. And this guy over here has zero. Hair, hair right. But this guy over here has zero picks, maybe one PBU, but he was locked down the whole game. That's how I look at sacks versus QB hits, man. Hmm. If a guy's getting a ton of QB hits, that lets me know that he's winning consistently. He's winning his matchup consistently and getting to the quarterback consistently. The sacks will come as long as you keep getting back there on time like that. But if you have 10 sacks but only 15 to 20 QB hits, you're not kicking a lot of butt. That's that's letting me know right there. So that's kind of how you weigh mm-hmm. the whole sack number, gotcha. whether it's good or not. Olivier Vernon was a prime example of that when he that's left right. out of, about that. when he left out of Miami. He at the time his I think the most sacks he had during the season in Miami was seven, but he also had a hundred QB hits in the season. It was like dude, like between I mean it, not during it was a hundred QB hits. It was QB hits and pressures all total in there to equal to a hundred, which is insane yeah. when you think about like. <laughs> Man, like that's kicking serious butt there. So that's so that's what you have to understand, man. You can't just solely put all your stock in how many sacks a guy had or not. Look into the QB hits. And with Leonard, I think that man, if he can turn some of those QB hits into a couple more sacks, you think about man the difference between 
a, a five sack season and a ten sack season. Man, if five of them plays go different for you, five of them QB hits turn into sacks, that's a 10-piece, and there you're going to get paid. So for Leonard, I think that he can definitely do that. I think there will be a scenario where he can stay there because with the Giants, they, they're not in the position to be moving on from people. They're yeah. trying they, – they, if anything, they feel like they're at the, the second stage of this rebuild. They finally have their quarterback. They yeah. finally have improved the offensive line. They have Saquon Barkley. Now they're looking to say, okay, who are our talented players that we can keep on this defense? Who are our talented players? Well, okay, we don't have uh we don't have Landon Collins anymore. Okay, well, yeah. who 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 can we bring in or who can we keep here that's gonna make us better? And with Leonard, he's a player. He, yeah. Man, let's be real. Yeah, on that defense, you can debate. He he's the top five, top three best player on that defense right now. You're gonna find a way to keep him. He would walk. I mean, he would he would start. Just walking into the locker room on, it, I would think at least half of the teams Absolutely, in the National man. Football League right now. Absolutely, um, yeah, he he very talented. And you're right; it's it's funny if you look at some of the advanced metrics, Motsi, um, they imply that he would have an expected total of 45 and a half sacks. It has the 17 and a half, mm-hmm. but which just speaks to like you yeah. said, how often he is pressuring the quarterback Absolutely. and getting after the quarterback. How about another uh Because like I said, it's totally different. You you said the forty five and a half. If he has forty five and a half sacks right now, totally different conversation. Yeah. Oh my god. I gosh. mean, we're talking about him as one of the top three I mean, D ta- D D linemen in the league. Yeah, he's making right. uh he's making like Aaron Donald Fletcher Absolutely. Cox type money. But yeah. but the difference is right now he's getting back there, but he's not getting home. He's not getting home in terms of getting the actual sack. Yeah. And that's the difference right now on how we view him. But the numbers are there, man. From a QB hit stand, it's there. You you cannot fabricate that. You cannot no. fudge those numbers. You cannot lie about that, man. You cannot, Arthur Motes. You cannot. How about another Leonard who uh, rat- rushes the passer? Leonard Floyd. He has moved from the Bears. They gave up on Floyd, uh, the 2016 top 10 pick. Replaced him with Robert Clint- Quinn. Floyd is now off to Los Angeles. Speaking of uh, Aaron Donald there. He had seven sacks as a rookie, but hasn't really uh, been able to take off since then, Arthur Motes. Leonard Floyd, long-term solution with the Rams, short-term fit. Is it, uh, you know, if he's able to have uh, an impressive season, could he stick somewhere else? How do you think it uh, looks for Leonard Floyd? I don't know, man. <laughs> I just... Because with Leonard, this is the thing, man. Even when he was coming out of uh, Georgia, I went... Yeah, yep, excuse me, coming Georgia. out of Georgia... Yep. You respected his athletic ability, but there was still questions in terms of would his game translate to this level. And we've seen that now on multiple occasions with some of these body types like Leonard Floyd where they're more of your lankier, thinner type. I mean, even the guy was, uh, oh, my goodness, Deion Jordan. He's another one like that where you see it, they have the intangibles, but you're still questioning can it fully translate and with Leonard, it hasn't been able to fully translate, and I honestly don't see it changing right now. If he does, it'll be great. It'll be a pleasant surprise for the Raiders. I mean, for the Rams, excuse me. But I just don't see that changing. I mean, we talked about his rookie year, the seven sacks he had, and even then, we talk about you look at the tape. Some of those sacks were what we call, you know, where there's a coverage mm. sack, or it was kind of like, oh, mm. everything went right, and you just you was right place, right time type situation. But that's just who he is right now. I don't see a scenario where it changes. I don't see even a scenario where like a Barcavis Mingo where he went to New England and kind of revitalized himself. But then when he left New England, it went right back to who he was. Leonard Floyd, I mean, he just is who he is. I don't think he's ever going to be a double-digit sack guy. I don't think he's ever going to 
burn it up in terms of getting 20, 30-plus QB hits in a season either. I just don't see that scenario happen right now with Leonard, and I don't see him being – you know, a guy that you're going to want to stay in bed with in terms of getting a long-term deal done with him. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned it, that rookie year, 2016, where he had seven sacks. He only had nine QB hits on the whole season. So had that's, seven sacks on nine QB hits. And, and we talk about, like, that's not kicking butt. Like no, That's like, that's like yeah. You're right. <laughs> you, not, you see, but that's the correlation with it's, it's, it. No, you're right. What that would be like mm-hmm. is if, um, if, a ba- if a baseball player, right, yeah. had uh, – Nine hits on the season and seven of them were home runs. Right. Well, that's great that you hit seven, but but we need you to hit the ball more right. often than just hey, nine it, times. Because let's be real, man. The more you're back there, the sacks will come. Like this, him versus Leonard uh, versus Leonard right. Williams, drastically different. Right. Leonard four what, five seasons now, a hundred QB hits. Like <laughs> he's getting back there yes. at a crazy clip. Yes. Whereas Leonard Fournette, I mean Leonard Floyd is not. He's not. <laughs> he had the sacks, but he's like, yo, he's just not getting back. He does he not win enough. He a couple home runs, but yeah. that's, that's about all he's doing at the plate. And, and, and I'm like, at least with a home run, okay, it took some skill. I've t- man, I saw firsthand. I know two of his sacks for a fact. Where okay, he's running the hoop in terms of all right, he's not. He didn't beat the tackle. He just kept running, kept running, kept running. QB holds the ball, steps up. Oh, and he just happens to fall into it. We've seen that before. I used to call it the Aaron Maven sack, man, where Aaron Aaron has six sacks with the Jets, and literally all six were ten seconds a, a ten second play in terms of a guy scrambling around. That's not good. That's not productivity. That's not something you can hang your hat on in terms of saying this guy can do that going yeah. forward. So, and, and, and right here it says he hasn't had more than twelve QB hits in the season since he's been in the league. That's, I mean, dude, you, you, that's not good. That's not enough. No. So even if you have a Shaq Barrett type year where you come out here and go for double digit sacks, I'm still going to point back to what you've done throughout that's your true. whole career of you haven't been nowhere near this. And don't, and, and at least with Shaq, Shaq has the built in excuse of, well, hey, look, I was backing up Von Miller and Demarcus Ware. I just didn't have the I was backing up Shane Ray, who was a first round pick. Even when they brought in Bradley Chubb. So it was multiple people that kind of hindered me from that opportunity. Leonard Floyd, when you came in as a top 10 pick, dude, you were starting the first day you got there. You weren't rotating with anyone. There's no excuse. I need the productivity. I need not 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 just sacks. I need the QB hits. In fact, I would much rather you have more QB hits than sacks because at least I know, hey, if you go out there and have 30 QB hits, trust me, you did great this year. I know for a fact you right. were winning. You were winning a lot. If you only go out, if you give me five sacks, but you had 10 QB hits, that's not enough. That's not good. No. Not at all. Especially Arthur when Mose. you're, and like I said, if, if you're in a rotational role, it's different. This dude is, is is playing the whole time. He's not coming off the field. Can't win like that. No. No, you cannot. Uh, two running backs to finish out the list. Another Leonard here, Arthur Motes. Leonard Fournette. So with all these Leonards. I don't know. And it's they all big... spell them the same way, too. I like to spell mine like Leonard, like L Y N. Oh, like Leonard Skinner? Hey, now. <laughs> Man, a free bird. Leonard Fournette, Arthur votes, declined his fifth-year option, so could this be it for him in Jacksonville? Is that is that are they headed for a uh, for a breakup down there, just like it seems like every big-name player that they have heads for a breakup Listen, down there? I, I want to say yes, but knowing Jacksonville – They'll find a scenario where Leonard goes out here and balls out, and they'll say, you know, we're going to franchise tag you, baby. Mm. We're going we're gonna to find a way to keep you. 
Because that's what they do. We've seen this. It, they they franchise people that have been on record publicly saying, I do not want to be here. It's true. And they find a way to keep him there. This is true. So with Leonard, I think that, man, it just is what it is. I think he's going to be stuck there. I, I don't see a yeah. scenario where he's on a different team next year. I know they flirted with trying to trade him, but nobody bit because they figured that, oh, he's going to get released anyways, right? Jacksonville is weird with her in terms of how they run their front off in terms of the, the personnel decisions. And honestly, man, with Leonard Fournette, there, I, I just see this scenario where he can ball out this year. We talked about how he increased his uh, from a receiving standpoint. Yeah. His 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 catches had, and, and receiving yards were up. He had Rushing over hundred. He had over hundred yards. Averaged over hundred yards from scrimmage uh, per game last year. Yeah, it, it, it mean, was it was a really like, a quietly really good he had almost season. Seventeen hundred all purpose yards. Right. You know, between running and catching the ball. Absolutely, yeah. man. So when you factor in those things, man, if he goes out there and duplicates that or improves upon it. Jacksonville is going to franchise tag him and keep him, especially as a running back. You could franchise tag him; he'll still be extremely low. I mean, you think about uh, Derrick Henry when he was going when he when he first got franchised, it was going to pay him right around ten million. Then they ended up getting a long term deal done, mm-hmm. which kept him at the ten per the ten million threshold per season. Leonard Fournette is going to be in the same scenario. It might even be less depending on the other contracts that go by. It's true. Because you got to think, man, L. Bell's contract, that's going to get altered a little bit going into next season regardless of how good or not. They're going to make some changes with that now that the guarantee mm-hmm. portion is gone. All of that affects Leonard if they go ahead and franchise tag him after this next season. So, yeah, I think he's going to be there, man. Last one, Arthur Motes. Running back, Pittsburgh Steelers, James Conner. Mm. He's got to stay on the field. Definitely does. If he does, I think if the price is right, the Steelers will give serious thought to re-signing him, um, or he can give serious thought to cashing in somewhere else. Um, if not, you know, I think he'll probably end up taking a, a, a one-year deal, something like that, somewhere to you know to kind of continue to you know like the term that I like to go back to, sing for your supper. Yeah, man. With uh, James, he's in a very unique situation right now. And less about him, more so about the other players that are due for extensions on his team that's right now. true. If he's elsewhere where he's the only big-name player that's up for an extension, he balls out this year, he'll be rewarded with the contract. In Pittsburgh, it's not that simple. We talked about right now, you got Cam Hayward, who negotiations have stalled for all for all intents and purposes. We know that Bud Dupree, they franchise tagged him, but they don't anticipate getting a long-term deal done with him going forward. You still have Juju smith Schuster that you want to potentially get a deal worked out with, and that doesn't even account for the extension that's waiting with T.J. Watt. There are a lot of names that need to get paid right around the exact same time as James Conner. So if James stays healthy, if James produces to a Pro Bowl caliber level like we've seen him do before – I just don't see the scenario where he's going to get paid what he probably wants. Now, it could be a situation or a scenario where he doesn't want the 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 eight, nine mil per year thing if he has another breakout season. Sure. He could be, hey, man, give me anywhere between five to seven a year. Like, that could drastically change things. But it's really going to depend on the Cam Hayward deal, if they can get that done, the T.J. Watt deal as well. Like, that, that's just a scenario with it, man. So, with, with James – as much as I want him here next year, I don't. I personally just don't see it happening because I'm banking on him having a really good season this year. And a really good season by James means he's going to price himself out of that Steelers market, that Steelers, mm-hmm. what they're trying to pay or what they can afford to pay right now. 
It's going to be interesting. Yeah, his, his is, a, uh, is a situation, a scenario, a case that we have dissected and discussed a lot this summer. All Steelers fans are certainly familiar with that. And it'll be, without a doubt, something that we will continue to discuss throughout the season. Arthur Motes, Wesley Euler, with you here inside the Electric Factory. We're going to close out the second hour on the other side. He is Arthur Motes. I am Wesley Euler. This is Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. I mentioned that we had a a whole bunch to catch up on from the weekend because while we were away, the Steelers continued to play. So we've got a bunch of good sound, a bunch of interviews uh, here for you on SNR. One that I wanted to hear from, wanted to make sure to bring you as we close out Uh, The second hour of the show here is Tom Bradley, secondary coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is a guy that, man, listen to him speak here for just a few minutes. He sounds like a little kid on Christmas. I mean, Steven Nelson, Joe Hayden, you got Minka Fitzpatrick and Edmonds, uh, and and not to mention all the talented guys behind those big-name starters, right? You've got Hilton and you've got Sutton and you've got young Justin Lane. Uh, Tom Bradley is excited to work with this secondary, and he talked about that uh, yesterday. Hey, Tom. Uh, last year, good Tom. Thank you. Um, last year, Minka was the best free safety in football. You kept them deep most of the time. Uh, why would you consider moving him around more this year? I don't think we will consider moving him around more. I think we, we like that combination where he is back there. We do bring him into the box at times, uh, just to make sure we, you know, our tendencies, we can change up on them, but uh, we like him where he is right at free safety. All righty, let's go to Jerry Dulac. Jerry, go ahead. Morning, Coach. Um, Morning, Jerry. No golf today? No, no, later, so keep the, keep the session short. Keep it short? Okay, I got you. I'll keep it short. Right. Um, how big an opportunity is this, Coach, for Marcus Allen? I mean, is, it an import- is this an important year for him? I think it's a big year for Marcus, uh, and he's taken advantage of a lot of different things. The one thing, he's playing a lot faster this year. You can tell he really understands the system. He's very versatile. We can do a lot of different things with him in our package. And so I think this this camp has been a really uh, – Marcus has really come on strong during this camp. Thanks, Coach. All right, let's go to Brooke Pryor. Brooke, go ahead. Hey, Tom. Going back to Minka – I mean, how much better can he be after what he showed you guys last year? He was already, like Ed said, the best free safety in football, but just how high is his ceiling after a year of working with him? Well, I, I think one of the things is, is if you watch him practice every day, he's one of those guys that strives to get better every day. He's not satisfied, and he's always looking for those little edges, and you watch how he goes about his day-to-day business, his work ethic, when he's on the field, when he's off the field, the way he conditions his body. He's a guy that's a consummate professional and always working to get better. So there's a lot of room for improvement, and he knows that too. All righty, let's go to just a reminder. Please use your raise your hand function if you'd like to ask a question or a follow-up, and uh, and we'll make sure to call on you. Let's go to Jeff Hathorn. Jeff, if you're on, go ahead. 
Alrighty, let's try, let's go back to Ed. Ed, go ahead. Hey, Tom, uh, back to my other question. If uh, the Steelers have often uh, switched their safeties back and forth, in the box, out back deep, you know, it didn't matter who was there, or they you'd go side to side. Is it is it Minka's unique talent to play free safety, the reason that you say he's going to stay there? Yeah, we do move him around. I mean, formations are going to dictate a lot of different things that we do with him. But one of the things you, you always try to do in football is get your guys in the position that they do their best things. And one of the things he does where he's really good is in playing center field and, and being around the ball and doing all those things. So, you know, we're, we do have the capability to move him ahead, uh, put him in different spots. A lot of times, as I said, formations will dictate that, motions, adjustments. But, um, you know, we'd like to keep him in center field. All righty, let's move to Teresa Varley. Teresa, go ahead if you're on. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Good, Teresa. How are you? Doing well, thank you. You know, talking about Minka, you know, just his development, the way he came in last year, you know, you did say the sky's the limit for a guy like this, but what does he bring from a leadership standpoint, even though he's a young guy in that secondary and you do have other guys that are veterans as well? Well, the one thing about him, he brings a lot of confidence into that secondary, the way he plays and goes about his day-to-day -day business. So, you know, he came in here last year. He got a little bit later after a few games, but he's very comfortable now uh, being around the players. And I think you'll see him continue to take a greater leadership role as we progress through this season. All right, everybody, just a reminder, use the raise the hand function. And uh, we'll go back to Jerry Dulac. Jerry, go ahead. Oh, Coach, you didn't hear that. I said, what do, I'm sorry, what do, you, what do you think of Curtis Riley, your new pickup? What have you seen from him so far? And, and uh, can he help you from a depth standpoint? Yeah, I think Curtis can help us from a depth standpoint. He's one of the guys that uh, each day has, has shown a little bit more and more, and we're getting excited about him as we continue through this process, uh, you know, watching him. One of the things that's difficult, obviously, about this preseason is the fact that, you know, we don't have the game simulations. So we're, you know, through drill work and things of that nature, we've got to try to simulate as best we can how we're going to play. But he's um, he's been impressive so far in camp, and we're looking forward to see how we can keep this thing going for the next few weeks. All right. Uh, we'll move on to Mark Caboli. Mark, go ahead. Hey, Tom. How you doing? Morning, Mark. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Hey, uh, I know last training camp, Cam Sutton was pretty dynamic for, you know, the entire month but it seems like it's hard for you to try to find him a uh, spot on the field on a consistent basis. Is that the only thing holding him back right now? Maybe trying to find him a spot where he can play more than maybe 200 snaps? Well, I think the, the thing about Cam that, you know, he is a, a guy that's in our eyes is very valuable because of he can do all the different things. You know, he plays safety, he plays corner, he plays nickel, he can play dime. He plays all over the place, and that's a guy that's good to have on your team because he's like Putty. You know, we can put him anywhere, and um, and he does a heck of a job and knows what he's doing. So uh, we look at Cam as a very valuable tool to this defense. All right, thank you. Uh, Brian Backo. Brian, go ahead. Hey, Tom. I guess I'll stick with this theme of, of asking you about some specific players. Uh, Marcus Allen, what are you seeing in his development, um, his progression, and, and how much of it – 
is maybe tied to his ability to do some different things, play some different roles in sub packages for you guys as, as one of those hybrid uh, type players with linebacker size maybe, but uh, still some safety skills. Yeah, they're very valuable, as you know, in, in football today, especially with the way the different packages come in on offense. A guy that can get in the box, Marcus can play in space. Uh, he's really developed. He's been one of the guys that this preseason has really come forward with his, his game. He's playing faster. He understands what we're doing. And, and because of that, we're going to be able to do a lot of different things with Marcus. And I think through the rest of this preseason, we're going to kind of figure out what he can do and what he can't do um, as these next couple of weeks progress. All right, we got time for a couple more. Let's go to Mike Brazuda. Mike, go ahead. Hey, Tom. Uh, Terrell Austin was talking a little bit recently about maybe moving Minka Fitzpatrick around to try to counter teams, avoiding him. Who else do you have that can play center field, and, and what defines a guy that can do that? Well, I think, you know, we have a few guys who can play center field, and we work on that with different people doing it. What defines it is, you know, the space out there is different. As you know, with, uh, you know what you're doing and what you're seeing is, is, is very unique to that position. Uh, we do have guys that do work back at center field, uh, and, and we try to, you know, continue to make sure that we, we have guys that will be able to do that. So it's just not make it back there. And um, it's one of the things as we develop players, we've got to be able to – Make sure that they have the uh, the knowledge of playing there. All right, we got time for one more. We'll go to Jenna Harner. Jenna, go ahead. Hey Tom, I know this is kind of a simplistic question in nature, but just what excites you the most about this group that you have here? I think the one thing that excites me is the way they play together as a team. You know, it's a it's a very selfless group out there, and. Um, you know, the way that uh, they work uh, each and every day when they come out to get better, uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a fun group to coach and, and it's a fun group to watch play so far on defense this preseason. Tom Bradley speaking with the Pittsburgh media. That was from yesterday. That'll do it for hour number two of the show. Final hour coming up on the other side. In that final hour, we will hear from uh, the newest member of uh, of Tom Bradley's secondary, the guy who is entering his first full season with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Micah Fitzpatrick spoke to the media earlier today, just a couple uh, hours ago, actually. We will bring that to you in the final hour of the show, as well as continue our conversation. Arthur Motes, Wesley Euler, 60 more minutes to go here on your 24-7 home of the black and gold Steelers Nation Radio. Euler and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. Electric Factory, Euler and Motes on SNR. We roll along until 6 o'clock. Get those tweets in at Wesley Euler at the body 52. The body. Arthur Motes, we just heard uh, from Tom Bradley there. Uh, 
Steelers secondary coach. A lot of good things to say about that very talented group he's got to work with. And, you know, that's how we ended out the second hour. We ended out the first hour talking about Earl Thomas, and it got me to thinking, got us to thinking. Steelers have the best secondary in the AFC North now? I mean, it, they obviously you could have made the argument that they certainly did before Earl Thomas was out of Baltimore, but now that Earl Thomas is out of Baltimore, is it even really much of an argument anymore? Is it a foregone conclusion? How are we feeling about that, Arthur Motes? It's the reason Tom Bradley sounded excited as he did <laughs> during that audio because he knows for a fact now that the Steelers do have the number one secondary in the AFC North. Um, prior to this... Earl Thomas releasing news taking place, there was definitely a strong case for both teams to make a case in terms of who had the number one secondary because if you were the Ravens, you had to talk about Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey both being first-team All-Pros and then Earl Thomas, who we know his track record. And that was a a three-man race right there in terms of three just studs on your team. Whereas with the Steelers, you're talking about Steven Nelson, Joe Hayden. Joe Hayden obviously was a Pro Bowl this year. Minka uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, first-team All-Pro. And now you're saying to yourself, okay, well, now we're we're just as good. But now with them losing Earl, your two guys in terms of uh, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peter, they're they're really good without a doubt. Yeah. But the gap between them versus Joe Hayden and Steven Nelson is a lot closer compared to the second uh, compared to the safety gap with Minka Fitzpatrick and Terrell Edmonds versus Chooks Clark uh, versus Chuck Clark yeah. and, and Deshaun Elliott. <laughs> Who? Exactly. For, for both of you, really want to get down to it. So for me, that's why I say, yeah, without a doubt, the Steelers have the number one sec- uh, number one secondary in the AFC uh, in the AFC North because when you look at just the the four pivotal positions, and this we're not even talking about your slot corners and things along that nature, but we could throw that in there as well. The Steelers just have a, a more yeah. deeper and a more talented safety corner combo. Compared to the Baltimore Ravens, who now, like I said, with them getting rid of Earl Thomas, they have a major void in their secondary. Yes, they do. Yes, they do, Arthur Motes, without a doubt. A reminder, uh, like I said, we heard from Tom Bradley there in the previous segment. Uh, Just to let you know, Steelers training camp media availabilities are presented by your neighborhood Ford store. The Ford F-150 is the official truck of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Another guy he touched on there uh, was Edmonds, Arthur Motes, and... I feel like this has got to be, you know, I'm excited. I I have a feeling we'll get to hear from him here in the next week or two, hopefully, uh, before we get to the regular season. But I'm excited to hear what he has to say when it's finally his turn to speak to the media. Just, you know, you and I have discussed this a little bit over the summer, but a guy who is, you know, in his, what, three, no, two years in Pittsburgh now, has had a lot of different running mates. He's been asked to do a lot of different things, kind of head on a swivel. His rookie year played more snaps than, than anybody else on the defense. I think it's going to be a big year for him, Arthur Motes. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to nece- – like, I I, I'm, I don't want people to think that I'm saying, oh, Edmonds is going to go out there and he's going to be an all-pro and it's all going to be fantastic. But I, I think that we will finally see a guy who looks like a first-round pick, a guy who looks like, oh, a surefire starter without a doubt. I, I think there's some people that have, have realized this already. Um, I think there's also still some Motsi that, you know, like to say, oh, well, he was a waste of a pick and oh, they shouldn't have drafted him that high. But I do think this is the year where, with some of those other pieces, a lot of that continuity, kind of everything comes comes together for Edmonds. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I definitely think him having a stable running mate yeah. alongside him it is definitely going to give him some peace of mind because prior to that, and we talked about how he had to flip-flop between free and strong, he couldn't just sit there and just 
know all the nuances of just yeah. one element of it. He had to say, okay, I'm studying this, but I need to make sure I put time in here. So we, we talk about how if you're having to divide your time up in terms of what you're studying versus staying all in one position, that's going to have a negative effect on you. We, we definitely saw that. But with Edmonds now, knowing that Minka is going to be the predominant, you know, middle field, center yeah. field type player, that, that takes a lot of stress off of him, and it'll allow him to devote – the majority of his time where it needs to be devoted in terms of his uh, in terms of his strong safety position. And ultimately that's gonna help him, number one, see things a lot better. But number two, he's gonna understand the defense a lot more. So he'll know when hmm. and where he can take chances in coverage and in the run game to make him a better player. A lot of times when you're first learning a defense, you're trying to figure out what your assignment is, where you are supposed to be. It takes you a year or two to get to that comfort level of, okay, now I know this defense inside and outside. I know when I can take chances now. And that's how you could take that step from being just really good to being great. And those are some of the things that Edmonds is definitely going to have to work on. And hopefully he is working on it. I'll be excited to hear from him too as well once that meet, once he does talk to the media and things on that nature. Because, I mean, this is a guy who's hungry. He wants to be. Oh, yeah a beast on this team and you gotta think about it how embarrassing is it when you're a first round <laughs> pick but they talk about you like you're the weak link when you look mm-hmm. at all the other pieces that are out there regardless of where they were drafted and things on that nature and Edmonds is too talented from a physical attribute standpoint to not be I agree more productive we we understand his productivity in the running game but more so in the in the coverage element of it and I think now that he has a stable running mate with him he will be able to excel in the coverage element of it I think that's a good call by you, Arthur Motes. A couple more housekeeping items to get to. Pittsburgh native A.Q. Shipley reuniting with Bruce Arians. He has just, uh, in the last 15 minutes here, reached an agreement pending physical uh, when protocols allow with uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A.Q., hey, he's going to look for a ring down there in Tampa Bay, too. Uh, An interior depth move there by the Buccaneers. Also, Arthur Motes, it looks like the Steelers uh, worked out a few guys themselves today. Uh, a couple of linebackers, J. Ron Elliott, a familiar name once um, yes, among, amongst them. Here, right? he, he was here yeah, last year during yeah, training absolutely. camp. I yep. remember him. He was with the Steelers through most of training camp last year. I think it was one of the one of the last you know waves of cuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, offensive lineman Andrew Dickinson as well, and a couple long snappers, Arthur Motes. Hey, you got to have competition everywhere, baby. Let's one ride. One of which, Rex Sonahara. And Arthur Motes, you know if I'm talking about a line snapper, it's got to mean one thing. Hmm. West Virginia. Oh, oh yeah. Rex Sonahara, uh, no, no, no. the Mountaineer long snapper I in was, Pittsburgh. I was today. just waiting on you to say he has a great last name. <laughs> That's what I was waiting on. Well, he does hear. have a Sonahara as a great last Jeez. name. Uh, Spell it. <laughs> I think J. Ron Elliott was a uh, was a AAF guy as well, too, if I'm not yes. mistaken. little uh little cup of coffee with the Steelers last year in training camp. So there's some housekeeping uh, items as it relates to the NFL and to the Pittsburgh Steelers today. Uh, Arthur Motes, West Come Mueller. on, Cam Kennedy. You better step it up, baby. They going shopping. Don't let them go shopping, baby. Ooh, and that's the thing, Arthur Motes, right? You never want to see uh, You never want to see your bosses going shopping. Mm-mm. Or you, or you got to take the approach and tell them, well, Coach, you was wasting your time. 
That what you want to do today? You want to waste your time? Okay, cool. Waste your time then. Was waste that, time and money. Was that your go-to move? I've said it numerous times. <laughs> if I came in that locker room on an off day or even or earlier before practice and I saw them having linebackers, oh, coach, y'all wasting time today. That's what y'all doing today? All this money y'all could be spending on us and you want to spend it on these guys, you know they ain't going to beat me out. So what you doing here? <laughs> Without a doubt, man. I like it. I like it. Uh, Arthur Motes, Wesley Euler, Steelers Blitz on SNR here. 45 minutes to go on the other side. Mega Fitzpatrick spoke to the media. We will hear what uh, number 39 has to say. Certainly uh, a lot of guys that we are excited to see get going here for the Steelers. But this guy definitely towards the top of the list. We will do that on the other side. Keep those tweets rolling in too. We will get to them before we get out of here. At Wesley Euler at the body 52. The body. He's Arthur Motes. I'm Wesley Euler. This is Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Our Steelers coverage is brought to you by PNC Bank. PNC Bank is the official bank of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Arthur Motes, this guy, certainly somebody that everybody's going to want to hear from. I'm, of course, talking about Minka Fitzpatrick, he has uh, quickly skyrocketed up the list of most popular Steelers, Motsi. You know, I, I'd i say Big Ben and T.J. Watt and Juju, I think, occupy the top three spots in terms of fan popularity. Yes. But I tell you what, after those three, and Minka's making a push for those three too, but I think after those three, those have kind of been the big three, but I think Minka's hot on their Listen, tails. If Minka go out there and have another season like how he had last yeah. year, he's going to be surpassing them. Yeah. <laughs> There's no debate about it, bro. For sure, uh, because he's young, he's talented, and here in Pittsburgh, Arthur Motes, we love us some defense. We love us some splash, some playmaking ability from the defense, and he provided that in spades last year, of course, starting in week three in San Francisco and continuing the whole year. Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, we heard him answering some fan questions as part of one of those huddles earlier in training camp, but this is the first time he had the chance to speak to the media this morning, talked about how excited he is to get to work with this defense, their expectations, everything going on with training camp. Here is Minka Fitzpatrick earlier today. Uh, Hi, Minka. A two-part question for you. One, do you expect them to move you around a little bit more in the defense? But two, um, a lot of stars in other sports who are accustomed to uh, fan adulation said they're having some issues with being motivated without fans. Do you antici- how do you anticipate that that working out for you guys, you in particular, if there are no fans at a game? Um, to answer your first question, um, no, I, I don't really see myself moving around a whole lot. I think last year we, we were successful with what uh, what we did. <clears throat> um, you don't really see any need for change. Uh, we might switch it up a little bit, whatever, whatever, but uh, I don't see my role uh, changing too much uh, besides just mastering what I've been doing and uh, making plays. Uh, to answer the second question, um, no, nah, I don't think there's there's any, uh, for me personally, I don't think there'll be any lack of motivation because uh, you know, I, I go out there, I'm a competitor, so I'm going to go out there and compete at, at a high level no matter what the circumstance or condition may be. Uh, we are going to miss the fans, and it will be different, like going out there and not playing with them or playing with however many people in the stands. But uh, for me, I know I'm going to be motivated 
you know, just as much, if not more, because I know that, uh, you know, it's a different environment. Other people are, might need that, you know, little spark or whatever. So if I got to be a little bit more vocal, if I got to be a little bit more uh, on fire for my teammates, and that's what I'm going to do. Mike Prezuto, DVE. Mika, we're seeing the typical give and take in practice between the offense and the defense. You guys had a pretty good night the other night. They've made their share of plays. What's with the preseason games? What will huh? the ones where they catch the ball? Yeah. What will tell you the defense is ready without preseason games? What was the question? What will tell you that your defense is ready without having any preseason games? What What do you want to see between now and the Giants game? Um, I think you know when you're ready when uh, there's a uh, not a lot of mental errors out there, not a lot of uh, lack of communication when everybody's flying to the ball. Uh, you know, there's no big big plays or big mistakes happening, um, stuff like that. Uh, I think I mean because that's what. What defense is, uh, especially with our defense, the only times we get beat is when we mess up. Uh, there's not so many times where you know the corners aren't going to win 50 50 balls, they usually win those. Uh, there's not so many times where TJ or Bud aren't going to win a rush. The only time that big plays happen on us is when we make a mistake, you know what I'm saying? And the offense, you know, the type of offense that we have, you know, Ben and everybody out there, they're going to take advantage of it. Um, I don't know if it's been give and take the last couple of practices, but. <laughs> Y'all, y'all are entitled to your own opinion. Joe Rudder, Trib. What you know? I know it's a different situation because of coronavirus. But um, what's these practices been like compared to what you did the last two years when you're in Miami? More hitting, less hitting. Uh, you getting more work than you thought? Less work? How's that going? Uh, Practice-wise, it's not too much different than um, any regular camp. Uh, I think the rules on hitting are a little bit different, but. Uh, we're tackling uh, when we can. Uh, we're, we're hitting when we can. Um, we're getting just as much reps. Uh, I think it's like staggered now, but we're getting as, just as much reps as we would in a normal camp. Uh, so it's not it's not it's not too much different. Obviously, the just six and setup and stuff like that is different, but um, nothing's really different when it comes to just playing football and going out there for practice. Aditi Kingobala, NFL Network. Hey, Minka, um, now that you've had the full offseason with this defense, how do you see your role changing in any way? And how much input do you have? Like, do you go to TA and say, I want to do this or I want to do that, or we as a secondary should do this? Um, it really hasn't been a full offseason because we didn't have OTAs. We just had the last couple of weeks of camp. But, um, you know, doing, having, you know, these, these last couple of weeks, um, no, I don't see my role changing too much. I'm going to go out there, do my job, um, do what I do best. Um, and uh, when it comes to input, I mean, not, not really. You could you could ask, but um, there's not really a point. We're, we're playing well as a defense. We're communicating well as a defense. I'm doing my job well. Uh, you know, I might ask for other responsibilities, you know what I'm saying, but I'm not going to ask um, unless I really see a need for me to expand my role. But right now, I don't see that. Will Graves, Associated Press. Mika, when you look back and evaluate last season, what what bothered you when you looked at film? What what ticked you off? What did you look at and say, man, I gotta I gotta clean that up going into twenty twenty? Um, 
Personally or just as a team? Just you, you personally, your own self-evaluation. I don't think there's anything that really, that was like super glaring to me. Um, there was, there was, there were some plays where uh, something I worked on this offseason was just coming out of my playing lower, so with more bend, especially when I'm playing like in the, in the middle of the field or in a half, because um, I don't want to have to when I when I try and come out of a break, I don't want that to bend and then come out the break. I want to just be able to play low and come out the break, uh, and with that, my breaks are going to be sharper, it's going to be less rounded uh, breaks, so it's easier going to be easier for me to get to the ball. Uh, you know, tackles are going to be cleaner and stuff like that. So it's kind of like a trigger effect of just playing lower will affect a lot of different uh, parts of my game. Dale Lawley, DK Pittsburgh Sports. Hey, Mick, uh, I just wondered what uh, what you think of the guys uh, on the depth chart at the safety position uh, beyond yourself and Terrell. Who, who's uh, standing out there for you? Um, I think everybody's having a pretty, pretty solid camp. Uh, you know, uh, Curtis has just came in and, uh, you know, he's doing a good job. Uh, he's making plays and he's, he's an experienced guy. Um, Antoine, same thing. A uh, young guy, but he's out there, you know, communicating, trying to learn every single day, asking questions uh, to the older guys, needing extra time, stuff like that. Danger, same thing. Uh, he's a guy that's out there, knows what to do. Uh, he's not going to make any mistakes. So. Uh, I, think, I can't really say anybody's standing out, but you know, they're all doing their job and getting it done. Mark Cavalli, The Athletic. Hey, Mika. Are you guys on defense under the belief that your offense can help you guys out this year where you might not have to force 30-plus turnovers and 50-some sacks? No, we still want to do that as a defense because, uh, you know, last year we, we had a lot of injuries and whatnot. And we were down, but if we could do that same thing, you know, with Big Ben back and all the other guys back uh, making plays, I think, you know, we'll be an even even better uh, team. Uh, you know, last year we were a good team, and uh, you know we were you know, missing some weapons on on offense. So if we could uh, still play to to that same tempo and create the amount of turnovers and sacks and stuff that that we did, um, you know, I, I think we're gonna be a great team. So I think even though we do have those guys back, we still wanna do what we did last year, if not even better. Brooke Pryor, ESPN. Hey, Mika, I saw at practice last week, uh, you and Andy had a pretty uh, spirited discussion after uh, you tackled him on a play. How intense is practice in some of these battles that you get into with uh, guys like Benny or some of the receivers? I mean, just from your perspective, how, how intense does it get and how much does that help knowing that you guys don't have a preseason to kind of get that out? Yeah, uh, one thing that I, I really wanted to uh, bring into this camp, um, and I didn't really know how it was going to be because uh, it's my first camp with them. But uh, one thing I really wanted to bring into this camp was that competitive nature. Um, I wanted to make it a really competitive environment where you weren't going to be able to get away with, you know, going half speed or not uh, not giving somebody your all. Because uh, say if on that play with Benny, I was just cruising and he was stiff arming like that. I wouldn't have been ready for it, but I knew what Benny was coming with. So I had to, you know, approach it the same as that way. So I think um, it's just an iron sharpened iron uh, type environment. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely beneficial for everybody because if everybody's just cruising and floating around out there, nobody's getting better. But, you know, everybody's out there flying around, giving it 110. Um, you know, we get chippy with each other because we're all, we're all the, the alpha type mentality and competitors. So uh, we're not going to you know, just turn over for anybody. So. 
uh, you know, gets chippy. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we all have respect for each other because we're teammates. We're all, we're all wearing the same colors. But, um, you know, it's definitely a competitive environment. We're all definitely getting better because of it. Jim Wexel, 24-7 Sports. Okay. Okay, Minka, um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, is there a safety, retired or otherwise? You, you got me, Minka? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Is there a safety, that, uh, retired or otherwise, that you admire, study, emulate maybe, and why? Um, yeah, there's a couple dudes. Um, Ed Reed was a guy that I really liked. Um, you know, this offseason, I broke down a lot of his film. Uh, you know, he just he was an athlete, but he also was an intellectual uh, when it came to the game. Uh, he did a lot of things to, you know, bait quarterbacks. He did a lot of things to, uh, you know, just learn the game. Uh, and, and with that, he was able to make plays that normal safety uh, wouldn't be able to make. So. Ed Reed was a guy, Brian Dawkins. I just love the way that he played, the energy that he played with, the passion that he played with. Um, and I'm about to start breaking down some Global Quinn uh, film from Detroit. Uh, he's a really good safety that a lot of people have told me about uh, that, that I should watch. So I'm going to start breaking him down uh, sometime soon. Jeff Hawthorne, 93.7. Hey, Minka. Uh, Tom Bradley was saying earlier today about how he wants you in that role at center field and how key that is. What about your attributes or your mindset or both make you good in that position? Um, I think you want somebody back there that is, um, one, can cover ground, uh, which I believe I, I do well. Uh, a guy that, you know, knows what everybody in front of him is doing because when you do that, uh, it allows you to play fast back there. Uh, it allows you just to react and not have to rely on, uh, you know, too much thinking. Um, I think it uh, relies on, uh, you know, it's a guy that your safety is the last line of defense. So you're not going to let things, you know, fly over your head and, uh, you know, let balls slip out the backfield or the running back slip out the backfield and, and make a big place. You know, you're a guy that's going to keep everything in front of him. You're not going to let the ball go over your head, but you're also um, going to be, you know, aggressive. Um, you're not just going to let everybody catch up everything in front of you. You're going to make plays in front of you uh, while also, not letting the ball get behind you. So I think it's a combination of a couple different things. Great. Time for three more. Tim Ben's trip. Mick, I was uh, curious about your answer to Jerry's first question there about the decision maybe not to have you move around or change your role a ton going into the season. That seemed to be a point of interest of yours earlier in the offseason and maybe of the teams too. Can you expand on why you might keep things more of the same? It worked last year. And you're happy with that? You're you're okay with that? Yeah, I was happy with all pro and uh, pro bowl. Yes, sir. <laughs> you, you think that um, – I mean, if you look back at some many of the interceptions you created and caused, uh, they were kind of targeting other players anyways. Was that part of the discussion? There's determined that you can still make an impact from back there? Uh, regardless of whether yeah, part of being a successful safety, uh, I had mentioned Ed Reed earlier, uh, is just being in the right position. If you watch a lot of Ed Reed's tape, uh, a lot of his tape is just him being in the right position uh, and balls being tipped to him, you know, forcing fumbles, taking the right angles. Because a lot of guys, if, if you're lazy back there, you know, don't pay attention to a lot of the details of the game, but uh, one little step 
off, and Edward is going to make that play. One little step against the Rams last year, and I'm, you know, two inches off from catching the ball, you know what I'm saying, and closing the game. You know, so it's, it's a game of details back there, and uh, it's really just about, you know, being – because, like, there's times where there's, there's drops, you know what I'm saying, where you don't make a lot of plays, but you still have to be in the right position because we make plays as safeties that uh, – just by being in the right position. The ball, we might not get the pick, we might not get the pass breakup, but simply by being in the right position and making a quarterback not throw to a certain area, making a, a receiver, like taking away a receiver out the game, uh, we make a lot of plays, you know what I'm saying? So everybody loves the big splash plays and the interceptions and the forced fumbles and stuff like that. But uh, as an elite safety or great safety, um, you do a lot of unknown things. And one of them is being in the right position. So as long as I keep being in the, in the right position and practicing the right way, then I'm going to keep making plays. All right, we actually have to get out of this room, so we only have time for one more right now. It's going to go Brian Batco, Post Gazette. Hey, Minka. Yeah, you just mentioned how this is your, your first camp here, and really it's your first extended practice time with the Steelers, period, since you came over during last season and didn't have the off season that you normally would. So how beneficial has this process been for you with your chemistry uh, with Steve and uh, and especially Joe, who it seems like has, has really kind of taken you under his wing since you got here. Uh, it's been good. Um, you know, we, we all, honestly, we had a really good chemistry last year. Um, I think because I was forced into it, I had to approach it in a headfirst, uh, you know, uh, way. Um, <clears throat> and if I didn't go into it that way, and if, you know, Joe and, and Steve and T.E. didn't, you know, uh, coach me up the way that we did, the way that they did, then we would have had the success that we had. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's beneficial, you know, having this off season with them. But I think, um, you know, last year we established really good, really good chemistry. We established real good communication, which is really important between, you know, corners and nickels and safeties. Um, so, you know, this year we just, you know, put a stamp on it, uh, improving the little details. Now we're communicating without even communicating, you know, saying just a little look and stuff like that is enough now. So uh, it's definitely good. Still learning, still learning uh, as you're playing with people know how they think and whatnot, but uh, I think we have a great chemistry and I uh, was just making it even better during this camp. That was Minka Fitzpatrick earlier today speaking to the Pittsburgh media for the first time this offseason. Steelers training camp media availabilities, all the audio we play you here on SNR presented by your neighborhood Ford store. The Ford F-150 is the official truck of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's talking about improvement and getting much better there as a unit, Arthur Motes. And I tell you what, if they even just get a little bit better, that's going to be scary. That sounds like a dude, Minka, who is, uh, you know, if you thought last year was good and everything we were kind of able to put together on the fly, wait till you see us this year. And and if the offense keeps us off the field a little bit more and lets us play with a little bit more leads, man, Motesy, if, if they do improve, if they do get better, <laughs> it's it's going to be great to see what that looks like because last year they were already one of the best two or three units in the league. If they get better from there, watch out. Yeah, I mean, let's be real about it. I mean, Mika hopping on the move and training, having the productivity that he did, nobody could have expected that. No, no. one. And you're telling me that you're going to give this guy a full training camp, not hopping into the season on game plan week, Whew. but he's actually here where he's going to get a chance to learn the nuances of the defense, learn the nuances of the call. Yeah, it, 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 I, I'm excited to see what better looks like. Not only, like I said, from the team defense, from the team defense defense standpoint, but more so, what does a better Minka Fitzpatrick look like? Because I mean, last year, I mean, he was first team All Pro. 
and he came, like I said, going going into week three of the season. Yep. So that's the thing that, that makes me excited. And if you're an opposing offense, you have to be scared because you know what Minka was last year. He was a legit bona fide game changer. He, I mean, we saw how single-handedly he would just change the face of a game. That's how talented he is. So by giving him this much time to really get comfortable out there, giving him this much time to really dive into this defense and learn all the nuances, man, sky's the limit, honestly. Nelson gets a little bit better in year two in the scheme. Hayden continues to do what he knows we what we know he can do. Edmonds gets more comfortable with his running mate. Stephon Tuitt back into the fold. Hey, that guy TJ Watt, who was a defensive player of the year candidate last year, he's still on his rookie deer deal Mm -hmm. he could get a little bit better too and um oh uh oh oh, yeah the top 10 draft pick who's entering his sophomore season Devin Bush I think it's fair to expect that even he could improve too right Uh, I think so man it could be it, it could be it should be a lot of fun to watch that defensive unit for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year we've had a lot of fun today we'll wrap up the show on the other side so you know what that means knuckleheads uh oh speak now or forever hold your peace for the next 21 hours. You heard him. Last chance to get those tweets in at Wesley Euler at DeBody52. DeBody. We will wrap with your reaction on the other side before we turn things over to the training camp report with Mike Pursuta, Dale Lolly, and Matt Williamson. Arthur Motes, Wesley Euler. We'll close out on the other side. It's Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Wrapping up the show here on a Monday, Arthur Motes, Wesley Euler. That means one thing. It means it's time to get to the tweets. But before we did, just want to remind you one more time that our Steelers coverage is brought to you by PNC Bank. PNC Bank is the official bank of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Jamie tweets here, Arthur Motes. Love the Jamie. Love. Oh, actually, you know what? We got two different Jamies. This is a different Jamie. Oh, it's not that Jamie. It's not the Jamie who won the... Not JC. Not JC, yeah, who won the push-up contest. So we got a tweet from JC. Different Jamie. Uh, once says here, uh, love the Minka Fitzpatrick audio. Gotta know, who are you most excited to watch on that Steelers defense? Man, um, I, t- I think we talked about this before. For me, I'm a, I'm a guy that's really wanted to see Terrell Edmonds. Um, hmm. I think he's the, the wild card right now, the outlier of the defense. Yeah. Obviously, he has first-round pedigree. Obviously, he's very athletic. And in terms of on-field play, He's very experienced in terms of his first two years, the amount of snaps that he's played. But I'm interested to see him in terms of can he take the next step in terms of his game and improving the coverage element of it. We know he's a great tackler. You don't get back-to-back 100-plus tackle seasons if you're not elite tackling, if you're not great in open field. I need to see him take that next step from a coverage standpoint. Very similar to how last year we were excited to see Bud Dupree and see if he could finally turn the corner from just being a guy who gets pressures to a guy that actually gets sacks and impacts games. Terrell Evans is the exact same way, so he's the guy I'm looking forward to the most. I'm going to go Jamie number two with uh, (laughs) a pair of linebackers. Devin Bush and Bud Dupree. Uh, Devin, because it's your number two, right? Moats and I, we've discussed this many times on the show. 
being a rookie in the NFL is tough. I mean, you go from the end of your senior season to preparing for a bowl game to if you're going to a senior bowl or a shrine game or one of those showcase-type bowl games. Then it's your head's on a swivel. You're getting ready for the combine for two months. Uh, from the combine, right, all, everything that comes with that, getting your body ready for all those drills, getting ready for all the interviews. Then you have your pro days following that. Then the NFL draft. Then you're into mini camp, rookie mini camp, OTAs, training camp, 16 games plus four preseason games, more football than you've ever played in your life before. All while you're in a new city, starting a new life, your professional career for the first time, somewhere new, and house hunting, apartment hunting, all the stuff that comes with that. It's a whirlwind for rookies in the National Football League. Devin Bush took all that in stride and had a good season last year as a rookie, but now Mark Barron's gone, and he is expected to be the guy on a very good defense that is counting on him to be very fast and very good, <laughs> a top ten pick. Uh, what they what they what they traded up to select him as. Uh, in the middle of that defense, I'm very excited to see what that young man can do in his sophomore season. And then Bud Dupree, right? Uh, we know you've got it in you. Definitely after last season, uh, I- I'm I'm excited to see what he can do in year two. Uh, TJ is going to command more attention. Devin Bush should command more attention. To its back, we know what Cam Hayward is. Now they've got that secondary behind him. Man, I, I think Bud Dupree is a- is another guy that we thought last year was good. It was. I think he can even be a little bit better, and I hope we see that this season a last one here mozi from jc from the og jamie hey uh, here we go says what's up to the power grid host mr Motes? i just want to let you know i'll be framing that autograph picture and putting it in my man cave my first stealer autograph thanks again you guys are the man Ah oh, man, major respect. That's like what we said, do it man, for, we appreciate baby. you. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think you said you're getting that out this week, right? So yes, Jamie, indeed, without a doubt, Jamie, man. be uh, be be keeping an eye on uh, on the mail this week. That'll do it for us today, Arthur Motes. We'll be back in about 21 hours here on SNR, but don't go anywhere because two more hours of coverage here. Uh, on your home of the black and gold. It's the training camp report. Mike Pursuta, Dale Lawley, and Matt Williamson with you for the next two hours, so don't go anywhere. Great Steelers coverage continues right here. We'll be back tomorrow at 3 o'clock. That's the same time, and as always, you know where to find us on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Steelers Nation Radio.